moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast podcast. It's Friday, February 18th. 2022, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior! America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by! This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off your order at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear. They're at stayreadygear.com and on Instagram, stayreadygearusa. Holsters, custom Kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, on and off duty gear for your law enforcement or military. Need something custom? They can hook you up. Use the code STEAK for 5% off. Don't get ready. Stay ready. Well, Mike Lindell was uh, denied access to Truckapalooza. No-go into Canada. Really? Hauling 10,000 pillows. And the basis of that was... They don't want them to have... <laughs> The best night's sleep they've ever owned. Uh, but if you want that, you can find that and a whole lot more at MyPillow.com. Use the promo code STEAK at checkout. Big, big savings there. It's a Canadian pillow embargo. My slippers, my robe, Giza, Dream, everything. Oh, I got the sheets on the bed right now. They're pretty legit. Yes, they are. MyPillow.com forward slash steak is the website. You can talk to a qualified pillow representative via the telephone, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment specializing in headphones now sit on top of both my and Noah's head. Boy, are they delicious. Looking good. Big thanks to our friends over at uh, Odyssey for uh, supplying the team with uh, the best damn headphones I've ever worn. You check them out and uh, throw them some cash at odyssey.com. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Smells of rich mahogany. Mm, Looks like rich mahogany. You know where you can get a rich mahogany handle? Probably on a firearm from Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms. Yes. Uh, Get all your pew-pew needs taken care of. In addition to that, he's always got ammo. He's been dropping a lot of ammo on the website. Newly redesigned, easy to use, westcoastsurvivalarms.com. Talk to him via the telephone, 619-870-6992. He answers pretty quick on Facebook Messenger. First responders are working hard all the time, and Steak for Breakfast supports our men and women of law enforcement, first responders, etc. They're usually wearing mediocre medic. Sweatshirts, t-shirts, flip-flops, fanny packs, and more while they're off-duty. Stickers and patches for when they're on. They've got a pretty fire IG. Mediocremedic.com is the website. And last but certainly not least... The uh, gold standard of tactical flair can be found at Dumpbox. 
It's the home of the zero fucks duck. You don't know? No one I know. Figure it out. Yeah. You can ask Mark Joe Friday. He's the uh, owner, operator, and CEO of Dumpbox.us. You can find him on Instagram and Facebook as well. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast. There you'll find the link tree that'll take you to all our social medias, the website, our Telegram, and more. And on that note, for all of our friends listening from the Twitterverse, Instagram, and Discord, welcome. Friday edition, Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 109. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Antoinette's joined us. Hello, hello. We got a great show lined up for you today. Matt Brainerd's going to be joining us. He's circling back with Steak for Breakfast today. In addition to him, we're going to have the uh, co-founder of the Tea Party, Michael Johns. And then an America First interview with uh, the woman who's looking to represent Georgia 6, Mallory Staples. Before we get started with the news today, we do have a little bit of uh, housekeeping? Shopkeeping? Housekeeping! There you go. Mm. Friends. Hello. I can't emphasize enough. We've had several amazing America First candidates on this show from the great state of Texas. It is early voting time. I have talked to all of them over the past couple days via text message, Instagram, etc. If you're wondering what else you could do besides getting out for early voting that ends on the 1st of March for the Republican primary, shoot a couple bucks their way. And reach out on social medias and ask these candidates what you need them to do. What they need you to do? Exactly. Jameson yeah. Ellis, Jason Storm Nelson, Bianca Gracia have all told me if people want to go out and work with them right now and you live in those districts or don't and just want to take a drive and go help, go help them get their message out. These are the most America First candidates out there. We had another great one last week, uh, uh, Roland Lopez, who's running in Texas 38. You know, and it's one of those things where you don't want to wait till next week and be like, shit, they didn't get over the finish line. I wish I could have done more than just vote. You can do more, and you have plenty of time to do it. Reach out to these candidates on social media. Be like, hey, I heard Steak for Breakfast talking about you. I want to help you guys out any way I can. What do you need me to do? They will have you go out there and help them work campaign events. They'll help you uh, have you go do stuff, you know, getting people to the polls and, and telling people what's going on about their campaigns, and it's the most critical portion of time right now in, in the Texas Republican primary. So as we're getting ready to start the news cycle and, and report on some of that, I just want to emphasize, I was talking to, yeah, you if know, you live in Texas and you don't want your, your state to get ruined, yeah, you should probably put some legwork down. Listen, Dan Crenshaw's sweating a little bit. Jam Jameson Ellis is a really strong candidate. A sweaty eye patch. You know, we, we talked to Bianca Gracia, both on the show and offline. She told us when she was on our show, she worked for Donald Trump for five years doing stuff with, Lexit and getting all of those mayors and house representatives on the border towns that haven't been elected there either ever or like in a hundred years. And then because she didn't want to pay for an endorsement, she didn't get one from him. She is the America first candidate mm -hmm. and uh, you need to go endorse these guys. You need to go support them as well. Uh, donate some money to their campaigns and get out and knock on some doors for them as well. So I don't know if you guys heard or not today, since we've already been busy with some interview portions of our show, but uh truck is over. It's over. It's over. Oh, damn. Yeah, you know, they decided that uh, marching with BLM and, and burning down cities was worse or not as bad as honking their fucking horns. And today, by use of uh, police force, which included beatings, tasings, not gassings yet, but uh, rifle butts, 
Truckers oh. were pulled from their vehicles. They were separated from their children. They had their animals that they had with them seized, oh, and man. they were promptly jailed. It started started last night with the arrests of Daniel Bulford, who was a leader of the event, Chris Barber, who was also a leader of the event, and then Tamara Litch, who was the event organizer. They were all arrested last night, and once they lost the command and control for the most part, they moved in today, starting by, you know, knocking over the hot tub and flattening the Minions bouncy house all the way up to beating the people that wouldn't get out of their trucks and continued to honk their horns. No way. Fucking flatten the hot tub. That's it. That oh. one stings. So, yeah, Truckapalooza, in, in, at least in Ottawa, is is under assault and ending right now. We, I do have some. I think they're going to reload. I think uh, not reload, but re, uh, regroup and regroup, come back. Regroup, yeah. Pissed the F off. Well, I'll tell you, you one thing. People up there right now. And they're just waiting for the call. They're willing to die. And I'm just hoping it does not get to that point, you know? Yeah, true story. But, you know, on the trucker side, for you know, it has been peaceful. And, and they're going to continue to do that. And, and you know, looks like they're going to get January 6thly prosecuted, Ooh. persecuted. Um, um, might even be worse up there. One of our friends of the show, I'm not going to say their name, but they send us a lot of great top-tier guests, some of the most best guests you've heard on steak for breakfast have most come best? most best via this person who has shifted roles from being a manager for some of these larger personalities and jumped into a senatorial campaign for another guest we've had on the show who is a great friend of our show and we like very much um they are helping organize are you using pronouns truckapalooza usa edition and I was extremely proud of them when we were talking yesterday that they've got that going on. You are using pronouns. How <laughs> zims are you? <laughs> um, Canadian oh. par- There you go. And speaking of flip-top heads, Canadian Parliament to me is hilarious. <laughs> and, and the way they do it, it it's, like, uh, it's like the RC Cola version of British Parliament. But it did get pretty spicy this week. Everybody just wanted to shit on Justin Trudeau and, and almost in a... America-like senatorial hearing fashion started a dunk fest on him. I'm going to start off by dropping some Melissa Lanston, who uh, I don't know if you guys know this. She she looks she's kind of buff, a little butch. She's gay and Jewish, and took very strong issue with uh, Justin Trudeau referring to the people that stand with the truckers as the equivalent of Nazi collaborators. As you would tell, wow, that's a yeah. As someone who that's a CNN kind of. Leap. Right. As I already mentioned, is Jewish. So let's hear her kind of weigh in on the uh, parliament floor up in Canada and Ottawa this week and, uh, you know, hear her hot take and how she feels about Mr. Blackface himself. Hopeful vision for public life isn't a naive dream. It could be a powerful force for change. If Canadians are to trust their government, their government needs to trust Canadians. Those are the words of the Prime Minister in 2015. These people, very often misogynistic, racist, women haters, science deniers, the fringe. Same Prime Minister six years later as he fans the flames of an unjustified national emergency. So, Mr. Speaker, when did the Prime Minister lose his way when did it happen right honorable prime minister mr speaker conservative party members can stand with people who wave swastikas they can stand with people who wave uh, the confederate flag we will choose to stand with canadians who deserve to be able to get to their jobs who be able to get their lives back these illegal protests need to stop and they will mr speaker Okay. 
just want to remind the honourable members, including the honourable right honourable prime minister, to use words that are not inflammatory in the house. Don't be mean. That's for both sides. The honourable member for Thornhill. Yeah, come on, buddy. Kind of a shit show. Definitely not my guy, buddy. A joke, dude. Like this. Oh, it's like you insert. <laughs> yeah, insert riots and burning down buildings into that exact same little tirade that he threw. You mean mostly peaceful yeah. protest? Oh, sorry. How is this legal? Isn't it, isn't this legal and it, it's in their charter rights to protest peacefully? Ah, they might be talking about the blocking of roadways and stuff like that. I mean, I technically, I think that's but I saw that supposed they to be off the books. <laughs> everywhere. They were, I mean, obviously you're going to have to do a little bit of that to get your point across. Oh yeah, I'm not saying they shouldn't. I'm just saying that. Yeah, you know, but I know that I, what I've seen is that, like they made sure that people could get through, you know, um, as much as they could, but. Well, um, and anybody who's arguing against what these guys are doing are the same people who would do the exact same thing and who would literally say like, yeah, I would totally bro- block the freeway for BLM or whatever. They did, and then they blocked freeways, and they, you know, it's just insane. It, it certainly is, and I agree with both of your points, but I want to hear some more spiciness from mm. the Canadian Parliament as they as they yell, rabble, rabble. <laughs> Mr. Speaker, in 2020, when anti-energy protesters were blocking vital transportation, ships were backed up in ports, and trains were stopped. The Prime Minister didn't stop them. In fact, he actually sent a government delegation to meet with them. But now that the protests are about something that he disagrees with, he uses inflammatory language, hurls personal attacks, and makes a massive power grab. We know the PM finds democracy inconvenient and that he admires China's dictatorship. So will the Prime Minister admit that this is all just a move to crack down on dissent? The right honourable Prime Minister. Mr. Speaker, I would advise the honourable member to be careful in that line of of questioning before people actually look into what he and his fellow party, Conservative Party members, said. People are just screaming. Dictator. (laughs) Did you hear him? Call him a dictator. I want to remind the honourable members that shouting names at each other is not the way this place works. No, 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 Come no, on, no, no. Before you start clapping, start looking at your own benches. <laughs> Not even a damn? Damn. The right honorable prime minister, please continue. Mr. Speaker, people across this country have noticed the difference uh, between the uh, words and the rhetoric of the Conservative Party of Canada in regards uh, to Indigenous protests, in regards to Black Lives Matter protests, in regards to marginalized people uh, asking for their rights versus uh, what we're seeing here of illegal blockades that are hurting regular Canadians uh, and even talked about uh, the potential overthrow of a duly elected government. That is not uh, what is responsible for the Conservative. Honourable member for Regina Capel. Mr. Speaker, Conservatives denounced the blockades of vital transportation routes in 2020, and we have denounced the same blockades this time, Mr. Speaker. The only thing that has changed is the Prime Minister's reaction. When he agreed with the anti-energy protesters, he let them continue for weeks and even offered a settlement. This time, he grants himself unprecedented powers to attack those he disagrees with. Canadians do not want to live in a country where the prime minister gets to personally decide which protests are legitimate. So once again, isn't this all just about cracking down on dissent? Here, here. The honorable man would like to say, 
That Fuck is, around and find out. I actually didn't mean to hit that button. That was an accident. It's wild how he has like he he's, he he's saying this stuff point blank, gaslighting the public and lying out of his lying out of his ass like no other. I mean, it's, it's uh, obviously he's desperate. Do you think <clears> that? <throat> um, you know how we've seen those memes like you know sorrows answer my phone calls help me. <laughs> I, feel like, <laughs> I feel like he's like on his last leg in a way. His poll numbers have dropped. Help from, me, George Soros. You're on the hope. Yeah, from yeah. from you know middle of the pack to like sixteen percent in the last. I love weeks. it. I can't wait for Biden to get down to sixteen percent. Is he's, he there yet? He's already there. No, but I mean, like when they admit to it. Come on. Like I know it's at thirteen percent right now, but shout out to all our friends at 30. Trafalgar. Come on with those polls. Hey, Trafalgar, Trafalgar. together. <laughs> well, I saved the best for last. The most spiciest of them all. <laughs> and uh, you'll you'll see. Wait, it's a, Rand, Rand Paul's in Canada? Close. Candace Bergen, who's, who's equally as based as, nice. as Rand Paul, and uh, you know was going to let Justin Trudeau have it to the point to where, well, you'll, you'll hear whatever the moderator. Oh, Rand Paul kind of looks like the Canadian South Park character. He does. What? You think he's my buddy guy? Definitely. Here's Candace Bergen. The Honorable Leader of the Opposition. When the Prime Minister calls people he disagrees with racist, misogynist, he spent the last month wedging, dividing, stigmatizing and traumatizing Canadians. I understand the Prime Minister admires basic dictatorships, but let's remind the Prime Minister this is Canada, this is not a dictatorship. The Prime Minister is actually pouring gasoline on embers. Isn't it true the Prime Minister is doing this for one reason and one reason alone? It's to save his own political career. Yeah. Right, Honourable Prime Minister. Simply can't have it both ways. They spent weeks complaining that we weren't doing enough uh, to restore order in this country, and now when we move forward to give people the tools they need. I'm going to have to interrupt the Honourable Prime Minister. Right, Honourable Prime Minister. Uh, you know, I've been getting uh, emails from people who are watching us at home, and they're pretty ashamed of their parliament because of the shouting that goes on. One person brought something up. They said, well, all the shouting happens at the beginning. Why not start with the end questions? If this continues at the beginning, I'm going to the last question, turn my list upside down, and we'll start at the end. The Honourable Prime Minister, please continue. Mm. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but I like it. Absolute shit show. <laughs> I can't even make that up. I'm going to turn my list upside down, eh? Oh, man. Listen, all of our friends in Canada, we love you guys. Is that the like a hat trick? Y'all are holding the line. No, it's a five-minute yeah. penalty. Ooh. So. We are with you 100%. Yeah. It's Putting just, on the foil. It's it's really unfortunate now. It, this is another blatant case like we've seen in Australia, New Zealand, all across Europe, uh, places in, in, in Latin and, and South America, and especially in the United States, now Canada. If it's them, it's Perfect. fine. Yeah. yeah. As long as they, them are burning down everything completely fine in the name of social justice. Here? What if Zers bring burning things down? How dare you? Uh, you know. I see what, they're, what they um, are doing in Canberra. Yeah. They're using, yeah, those are, I forgot, those energy weapons. Yep. Oh, the uh, LRADs. Yeah, and people are being fried. It's, uh. No, they're, it just, uh, it. Fried ish. No, nah, it's not. They're not frying people. It's it. Uh, well, I mean, if you see their skin and the blisters and this one girl's face, her whole entire face looks so swollen. You can't even see her features. Mm, it's that I bad. I don't think those do that. No, not the LRADs. No, the LRAD doesn't do that. 
They might have gotten hit with a fire hose or something. No, they probably um, can't do that in frozen Canada though. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, where these these um energy weapons, I, I don't know the proper term for what exactly which one that was used on these people, but it's being reported a lot of places. Many people from uh, Canberra. It's disgusting. Well, as the icing on the cake, or I guess maple syrup on the pancake. <laughs> mm-hmm. Tucky weighed in. Let's hear what he had to say about uh, Truckapalooza coming to an abrupt hold. Trudeau ended democracy in Canada. He declared martial law this week. The irony is he seems to be losing control of Canada. Thank God. And he's becoming more desperate by the day. Just today, a conservative member of parliament challenged Trudeau on his declaration of martial law in the country. And in response, Trudeau accused her of standing with Nazis. Conservative party members can stand with people who wave swastikas. They can stand with people who wave uh, the Confederate flag. We will choose to stand with Canadians. So we don't know the member of parliament he was talking to. We believe she's Jewish, though, probably not a Nazi sympathizer. (laughs) Meanwhile, Justin Trudeau's government has been carrying out their threat to seize the bank accounts and cryptocurrency wallets of anyone who criticizes Justin Trudeau. Yeah, just a democracy. By the way, our State Department has said nothing about this. As democracy ends and tyranny reigns in our closest ally in the world, Joe Biden's State Department has said not one word because Hungary's dangerous. Man, they're dishonest. Canada's government, government, just banned 34 crypto wallets tied to the Freedom Convoy. Trudeau's allies, the media, of course, have been very busy helping him. They've been harassing anyone who dared to donate to the truckers. Today, the Washington Post, owned by the world's richest man, began contacting people who donated as little as $40 to the convoy. Can you imagine? That's not journalism. It's an incitement to violence, among other things. Mm. Then a reporter at the Ottawa Citizen called Ellison Ma, exposing the identity of a cafe owner who dared to donate 250 bucks to the convoy. Now that owner is receiving threats and she had to close her business. This afternoon, Ilhan Omar, to her credit, tweeted this, quote, I failed to see why any journalist felt the need to report on a shop owner making such an insignificant donation than to get them harassed. It's unconscionable and journalists need to do better. So Elon Omar is generally pretty loathsome, but when she says something that is true, we're going to give her credit for it. Because unlike the Las Vegas Sun, we're not liars. Oh. I, I did go on record yesterday saying I, I will never again say Elon Omar has done nothing since she's been elected to public office because that tweet was as real as it gets uh, when it comes down to the logistics of things. I did leave the uh, seizing of cryptocurrencies and donations going towards the trucker out because obviously Tucky was going to cover that supporting clip of audio that we played for you guys. But that's kind of the picture that's been painted now. Uh, Canadian Parliament's an absolute fucking disaster. Um, They've seized pretty much an overwhelming majority of the funds that have been donated to, you know, this group that's protesting medical tyranny up there in Canada. And our government's doing absolutely nothing about it. Not even making a (laughs) statement saying, like, Jesus Christ, what are you guys doing? This is like a little fucking over the top, don't you think? The like, next time uh, I'm around some people that are having an argument, I'm just going to start yelling, here, here, in the background. Did you see how many flat screens were stolen during the summer of love? Guys, give it a break. Mm. So that's kind of where we're at with, uh, you know, Truckapalooza. And we will continue to track and uh, bring you guys anything 
if there's developments between now and then, like we said, we know one's getting organized in the United States. I think it's getting ready to get kicked off here on February 22nd, starting from California and heading over to D.C. We'll see, you know, the success rate of that one's the people behind it, though, I, I would have to say probably favorable. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as we're getting ready to jump in here with our first guest, Matt Brainerd's audio is loading up. So we're going to uh, cut to him in just a sec. All right. He's the executive director of uh, Look at America, and he's joining us first today on Steak for Breakfast. And uh, he's a former strategist for the uh, the Trump campaign. Mr. Matt Brainerd, thanks for joining us and coming back on uh, the show. How you been doing, sir? I am better than Custer, and it's always great to talk to you guys. I know that so we're always in for a good conversation that is not going to be suddenly cut short like they are on TV or radio. We can have like a, a truly relaxed and in-depth conversation. So I always look forward to this podcast. We can even take it from the top if we need be sometimes. Is it wrong that I wanted to break him? Like, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. hey, this is not that show. <laughs> Matt, you've been uh, pretty busy. How's the uh, campaign trails you're working on? And uh, what exactly have you been up to? Well, I'm very proud of the work that Look Ahead America has been able to accomplish. Um, we're a new organization. We've been punching way, way, way above our weight and way, way, way above our uh, very small budget compared to a lot of the other organizations uh, in this country that purport to stand up for conservative values or the America First agenda. Um, we've registered now approximately twelve to 13,000 new patriotic voters in the state of Arizona, where we have an intensive program there. Thanks to the uh, generosity of Jim Lehman, who funded that mm-hmm. and earmarked that money. Um, we have organized across the country uh, state leadership. And I think now we've got uh, in the mid-20s, 25, 26 uh, states organized where we're engaging in issues, uh, an issue focus and have action plans going where we're taking people who've never been involved with politics before and getting them engaged and turning them into community organizers. And I also like to share this with you guys and your audience is that we're having our national training conference uh, the first weekend in March in Dallas, where we're going to pe- put people through an intensive 20 hour boot camp uh, over that weekend um, and graduate them as uh, advanced community organizers with the ability to go back to their home states and their hometowns and train others to also engage in, in community organizing. And, and right now, our, our priorities for community organizing are fighting against CRT with the pro American school board resolution, fighting for election integrity. And what we're going to, you know, I can make a little news here is that next week we're going to roll out our very exciting new project called the J6 question. I'd be happy to talk to you guys about that. Yeah, let's jump into that real quick since uh, you're rolling it out here on the show. It sounds very interesting. I think I'm pretty sure I can guess what it's about, but uh, I'd like to hear hmm. the details. Yeah, so we have been a leader on the Justice for J6 movement going all the way back to January of 2021, where we uh, sent a letter demanding that the Department of Justice and the FBI treat these people, mostly nonviolent individuals, uh, the same way they treated others who who committed the same alleged crimes, or if you can even call them crimes. Uh, and we've we've had pr- protests outside the Department of Justice, outside the FBI, outside the prison where many of these patriotic uh, individuals are being held. We held a massive rally at the U.S. Capitol. We've held, I think, 60 events all across the country, 60 or 70 events all across the country, including vigils, all these things raising public awareness of the political persecution of these individuals, not on the basis of what they've done, but beyond the basis of what they believe. So now it's time to start to harvest uh, this crop that we've planted by having those individuals who are now aware of the political persecution of these folks 
confront peaceably individuals running for federal office and asking them on camera what they are prepared to do about the political prisoners and those who have been persecuted by a federal government uh, over over their political beliefs. And what we're going to we're, we're going to ask folks to confront these folks, ask them on camera, and then we're going to create a an index of these video responses. So if somebody's running for Congress or Senate, whether the incumbent or challenger, Democrat, Republican, Independent, Green, etc., uh, we want to build an index so we get all these folks on the record. And what you will find is that sometimes these answers will be very illuminating. Sometimes they will have an impact on the election. But the more often that these uh, elected officials hear this question, the more they'll start to take notice. And you'll notice that there are very few uh, elected officials who are um, uh, willing to lead on this. There are very few that have the courage. Most of them are cowards. In fact, um, I will share with you, and you can play on your program, a uh, one of our, one of the questions that we we've, we've test run this we actually have Pennsylvania Congressman Lou Barletta, okay. uh, whom we confronted and asked this question. One of the, our volunteers, who is a constituent of his, asked this question. We have it, and we we invite you to play it. And you can judge whether or not this is a man of character, a man of courage, or just somebody trying to duck the question. So, and uh, we look forward to collecting these, broadcasting them. Um, and, and making them available to the constituents to see, so they know exactly where their elected official stands on this very important issue. Yeah, it is a very important issue, and I don't think it's touched on, well, it's touched on every time something goes wrong with the Biden administration, because that's what they always circle back to. It's uh, how dare you continue to hit your wagon to Donald Trump, semicolon, January 6th, here, look at file footage over my shoulder, mm-hmm. don't pay attention to anything else. Southern border, not important. Gas prices, economy, no big deal. Canadian truckers, what does that even mean? January 6th, Donald Trump, Donald Trump. Did I say Donald Trump January 6th? Chocolate, chocolate chip. Yes. And, uh, you know, the, the entire context of the whole narrative behind January 6th, and it's pretty awesome that you're on the show today because we we had Darren Beatty on Friday, and uh, we had a really great, you know, just breaking the whole thing down from the beginning, connecting all the way back from Michigan all the way up through, you know, what's going on today. And then you have a more human element to it because instead of, you know, peeling back the layers that – might turn out to be the narrative that was January 6th. You're working with that human element of the people who were actually involved, never get shown on TV, never get updated in, in any kind of the legacy media of what, what's going on with them, how bad they're being treated, how much their rights have been infringed. You know, their constitutions, uh, both figuratively and literally, have been shredded to all degrees, and, and, and you're out here just, just killing it right now, trying to bring awareness to people that, like, hey, the whole January 6th narrative, it's not a good thing to talk about, regardless of what happened, what you believe happened, what happened, whoever it happened to, who was behind it, etc. But now there are still a lot of humans involved that are just, uh, you know, living in some of the worst conditions imaginable. And it's at the, you know, hands of our own government here in the United States. And it's just a really sad state to have to kind of lay it out there for the audience. But that's the reality of it. Yeah, it's not something that's supposed to happen in this country. Not like that. No. Right. And I kind of want to make a point about this is that there's roles for different people in um, uh, combating this. And we've got a lot of folks, you know, doing great work. Um, uh, Darren's doing a great job. Mm -hmm. Julie Kelly Mm -hmm. has been sort of the chief documentarian of this tragedy of this crime committed against patriotic Americans. But, you know, talk is one thing. And I, I, Sometimes it seems like we have enough talk and sometimes too much talk. There has to be action. Yes. And that is why I created Look Ahead America. We are 
the action. We're not just we're not going to sit back and kvetch about how bad the world is and how things everything's going down the down the tubes. We're taking direct action to fix it. That is the heart of community organizing, and it's something that the left has dominated for a hundred years in this country. And you're seeing the result of that all around you, whether it's CRT, uh, this transgender nonsense, yep. whether it's uh, what all kinds of things, uh, uh, cancer is being spread among young people in the school. You can you can even see it uh, in national issues regarding the uh, election integrity and regarding January 6th. Yeah. Um, this is the result of their triumph of, of 100 years in community organizing where the only reason they really won was because they had nobody pushing back against them. And from time to time, we've had attempts to uh, combat this for a point in time. You know, you had groups like the Christian Coalition, who's very active in churches. Sure. You had sort of a, a disorganized effort in, in what was ultimately, you know, the Tea Party, which had some early success but could not sustain it because it lacked uh, competent and incorruptible leadership and hierarchy. And that is what Look Ahead America is trying to bring to the field and because we can't surrender community organizing. We, you know, when I say community organizing, I always ask the audience, uh, if you think about that term, what comes to mind? And it's always the same thing, Barack Obama. Yeah. And you remember, that was a joke. Yeah. That was meant to ridicule him. That was a mistake. Community organizing is vital, whether it's combating um, drag queen story hour or corruption at the school board or uh, corruption at the Board of Elections, putting people together, creating a, a loud public voice, taking direct action, confronting members of Congress, people who are running for Congress, holding candidate debates and forums. That is how we rebuild this country and we take it back. Yeah, that's just uh, people don't realize how much work goes into it, uh, you know, but when you kind of lay it out there, it's like, They've, they've fortified 100 years of doing what they've done, and, and it's going to take a little bit of uh, more than just talk to, to begin to chip away at that and kind of pull the power back. But there's a lot of motivated people, especially as of late, who are looking to get involved. And, uh, you know, you, you've talked about your numbers and stuff like that, and it, it's just really impressive to see you guys get out there and, and start to lay the groundwork to kind of, uh, you know, punch back in the community organizing department because it's just one of the elements of the uh, – like you said, the Republican Party that's just been lacking for so long, we need to really kind of uh, level the playing field there. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know, I'm going to talk to you about, you know, just an intimate understanding of what we're doing in just one state. OK, and I think this is unprecedented. Now, I, I do need to state, make it clear that we're a, a 501c3 nonprofit, nonpartisan group. We don't support or endorse candidates or parties. Um, we are targeted at making sure that the voices of the disaffected patriotic Americans of rural and blue collar backgrounds are not ignored. Primary way of doing that is making sure they're registered to vote and making sure they turn out to vote and that they are informed and educated on how to vote. So right now in the state of Georgia, um, in around or until just recently, 144 counties did not allow Sunday voting, whereas a few urban progressive counties did. And in those counties, there was an a organization uh, called Souls to the Polls, where they would organize progressive left-leaning churches and all march them to the polls together. This was an opportunity that's not afforded to many uh, patriotic Christians throughout the state in the more rural areas. So our project there is called Patriotic Souls to the Polls, where we are first starting to flip these counties that are rural 
that do not allow voting on Sundays and get them to agree to allow voting on Sundays. And then to work through those church networks to do two things. Number one, identify who in those churches congregations are not registered to vote and get them registered to vote. And two, when election day comes, make sure those pastors lead their flock to the polls to vote. And ideally have some kind of activity after that, like a uh, potluck or whatever, barbecue. So I think that when you look at the, and we've done the math, you're looking at over 100,000 voters that were left on the board in Georgia, and even more that are probably not registered to vote. And you saw how close the last few Senate and presidential elections were in the state of Georgia. Imagine if you had an additional 100 to 200,000 rural Christian patriots showing up to vote. And what impact that would have on statewide elections in Georgia moving forward. And we're very lucky when we launched this program. We had three um, state legislators join us. We rolled it out um, to the press. We've got a um, a coordinator whose job it is within North, within Look Ahead America who solely focused on that. And we've already had success. We flipped Cherokee County. We flipped Hall County. I think this week we're going to flip Forsyth County. Wow. And then we just keep now, but there are 144 counties. But those are the biggest priorities for us. Right. And yet this project remains unfunded. We have no money for it. The only way we're able to pay for it in a very limited way is because we have a national budget and that's all small dollar donors. And it's, you know, with, as we're proceeding, it's gonna be very difficult to get all the counties flipped and very difficult to get all of the churches in these communities um, engaged. Whereas, you know, the, the Democrats are swimming in, I'm sorry, the left is swimming in money in these urban areas, <laughs> progressive areas, to turn out voters. That's basically what what did um, uh, sorry, I'm blanking on her name. The woman who almost won the governorship of Georgia, and then Stacey refused to Abrams. acknowledge Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams. So Stacey Abrams, um, they actually offered her the uh, Democrat National Committee's chairmanship. Said, hey, you can come be the chair. She said, no, I'm going to run a 501c3. Give me ten million dollars. And I will, fi- I will fix things in Georgia and get a bunch of new people registered to vote and turn them out to vote. She did exactly that. Yep. And yet we on the right, this program is entirely unfunded. It's, you know, we're, we're creeping as fast as we can with limited budget. But, you know, if you want to make a difference, do it with Look at America. And guess what? Here's the best, maybe not the best part, but one of the nice things. Unlike giving to a campaign that pisses the money away on a Super Bowl ad and then nothing ever happens. Our contributions to us are entirely tax deductible. So, yeah, give to us, do some good, and, hey, take the tax deduction. Yeah, that's uh, definitely an incentive there. And, you know, we brought up Stacey Abrams. Not only did she do what she did in Georgia, but she went around and, and, and messed around in a whole bunch of other states' elections as well, uh, you know, champion uh, election integrity. But uh, She's a gem. Right, dropping Zucker bucks and uh, – those boxes all over the states, like in Arizona and, and, and in Wisconsin as well. So Yeah, and, and look, hey, I do want to make a point, though. This is a point that I've made all over the country, and it never gets reported because it's counter to the narrative of people on the right being a bunch of lunatics and counter to the right uh, narrative in some ways of the election being rigged, stolen, et cetera, okay? Nobody has a better understanding of the election um, – problems than I do. And I have demonstrated beyond a reasonable doubt that at least in the state of Georgia and Wisconsin, I've demonstrated this as a small nonprofit with very little access to the kind of tools that would really allow us to determine um, the outcome, what the government has, for example, the databases they have and tools they have. We can prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the number of illegal ballots in Georgia and Wisconsin surpassed the margin of victory. We can demonstrate that, right? 
that that was then those illegal ballots were determined of the outcome. However, the voter registration and turnout efforts led by Stacey Abrams in the state of Georgia have between a 100 and 1,000 times bigger impact on the outcome of that election than any kind of funny business. Yep. It had a much bigger impact. I walked through entire neighborhoods of voters that she registered. I looked them in the eye because, you know, somebody wanted to fund a project to make sure whether these people really exist or not. Well, yeah, at least in this neighborhood, they all existed. She registered them all. They all turned out to vote. And we've got nothing, nothing to combat that. And, you know, look, what would we do if we had an investment to help us with our project in Georgia? First of all, we could use technology. So we could actually geofence churches and compare those individuals to the voter list and affirmatively identify individuals who either are not registered or who are registered but do not vote and target them specifically with fellow congregants to say, hey, good idea to vote, register to vote. We've got a lot at stake. We would be able to deploy field staff to help organize that and organize these pe preachers and help educate people on how to do voter registration, set up tables outside their church a couple times a year to make sure everyone's registered. All these kinds of things are what we need. All these kinds of things are what the left does. All these kinds of things get completely and fully funded by the left out the wazoo. But here we are on the right, and it's just I can't tell you how many people I pitched this project to, and they just sort of shrug. And these are the same folks who like throw away tens of millions of dollars on these organizations here in D.C. with big, expensive buildings and big, expensive staffs that do absolutely nothing. Yep. Yeah, it's a, it, it seems like a reoccurring problem. But as we're going to switch gears right now, it, it kind of uh, leads into what might be a possible you know, uh, solution to this as we continue to move down the road. Now, there is a really different vibe heading into these midterm elections, and we're getting into crunch time here with around, you know, nine-ish plus months left before we head to the ballot box. We already have early primary voting in some states, namely Texas. Um, there is a big, big difference in that I've seen. I'm in my mid-40s uh, from just a different type of candidate running uh, typically than the establishment conservative suit wearing you know history and politics candidates of the past uh there's a lot of different reasons for that you know you see a lot of veterans business owners people from the private sector different vibe for sure yeah even like people like you know people that came out of like business and big tech that usually but it's just the type of people the america first saying the things that the republican party conservatives you know historically don't really champion their platforms on that's more things that they kind of you know make friends with once they get into the beltway and if it's legislation that they think won't get them killed you know in the press they'll do what do you think really led to this whole i mean it, it, it's kind of cliche to say america first movement but it is kind of a an america first movement when you look at some of the things with like china regulation uh stuff in regards to immigration we're hearing like you know candidate after candidate saying like not only are we just going to like fix the border, we're going to seal the border. We're going to propose immigration moratoriums. And those things are all good in theory. But now you're actually starting to see when you like chalk it up on the board, like you might actually have numbers in a different scenario in the White House to get some of this proposed legislation across. Where do you see uh, what's the motivating factor for this movement from you who's been in the game for a long time to, to see such a large crop across the country of people like step into the forefront right now and uh kind of getting on board with this 
whole different take on what uh, conservatism is. I think it's part of, you now I'm just going to take off my look ahead hat for a moment and just sure. put on my political consultant and uh, analyst hats. I think it's part of the Trump realignment. And it has sort of between his um, issue portfolio and his personality has been able to to uh, reach a level of dominance that, you know, it, it has not before. Because, you know, there's always sort of been on the right this kind of battle um, between sort of a patriotic America first movement and getting co-op by the Chamber of Commerce right. and the warmongers yeah. and the neocons. And you can look all the way back to, say, the battle for the nomination in maybe 1950 or 50. It would have been 1952 between Henry Cabot Lodge and Eisenhower. And you can see it continue in moments where you have the emergence of um, a Pat Buchanan yeah. in the 92, 96 2000 cycle and how it, like if you look at issues trump was sort of a uh, basically his issue portfolio and the way he spoke and what he was passionate about were very similar to buchanan's but he brought um you know, i, I kind of consider um uh president trump to be a uh, kind of a hybrid of a couple different people and issue wise i definitely think he gets a lot um uh from from buchanan in fact, they actually ran against each other in 2000 mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, out in the Reform Party for the Reform Party president. In fact, um, it was uh, it was um, Trump who won several states. I believe he won Michigan and uh, California, if I'm not mistaken. But, um, you know, I just sort of see Trump as taking the, the in many ways the ideology of Pat Buchanan, but having the personality and charisma of a Silvio Berlusconi. You know, it's just sort of a hybrid of those two individuals. Yeah. And that's why he was able to reach levels of um, electoral success that Buchanan just really couldn't, he couldn't quite get out of. So, you know, I, th- I think what you're seeing now is a realignment of the party that continues with the emergence of certain candidates who recognize that, um, Republican Party has to be about something more than uh, tax cuts and uh, foreign interventions. I love tax cuts. Tax cuts are great. Foreign interventions not, but there's there's something more to it, and it's a it's a definite uh, nationalist vibe that comes through it. And you know, Americans don't really know nationalism. We've never really, unfortunately, really had a a at least in the modern era a truly um, nationalist president or some uh, an embrace of that concept. In many ways, you didn't have to because nationalism is most often only just a reaction to something else, right. something bad, uh, sort of this globalism. It kind of provokes it, um, where in many ways, it's kind of a, a de facto thing where you, you know, the, the idea in the uh, 100 years ago of some idiot kneeling, bef- you know, during the national anthem as a protest um, would come with dramatic consequences. Now we turn those people into heroes. Yeah. So that re- that has provoked a nationalist reaction, which is spreading like wildfire all the way down to school board elections. Yes. And all the way up to state legislatures. And it's creating, you know, there's, there's a real polarization going on, I think, in some ways between sort of the most more urban areas of, this, of the country and everything around it that keeps it uh, fed and uh, powered. Um, so I, I think that's what that's what this is coming from. It's basically the Trump realignment. A lot of people are are saying, "Look, you can win with this. We need this." And, and a lot of people 
are cottoning to this messaging who don't really believe it, but they just want to win. Um, and but then again, we do have a lot of true believers who are stepping forward and uh, taking the lead, and hopefully going to have some electoral success. Yeah, I think so as well. And it's pretty funny you mentioned like some of the people who do just want to like go along with it and, and maybe don't believe it because you know growing up and and being a follower of politics, probably less than you, but but still, you know, more than a casual fan, you've never really seen, especially with the uh, expansion of social medias and stuff like that, like you know, primary season is like a legit thing now to where if you're caught voting like once the wrong way, even when you can get like onto Instagram and and do a live real quick and be like, listen, I know I voted for it. I'm sorry, but here's the way it goes. We vote. It's just a vote. And then we go to committee and that stuff doesn't even make it to the, you know, final legislation. So I'm sorry, please don't be mad at me. And then you see all these people. Nope. That's it. I don't understand that. Why would you do it at all? They're done. He's done. (laughs) She's done. That's it. They're getting out. Primary challengers. Let's go. Not America first. All this. Like I've never seen anything like it before. It seems like anytime somebody does anything the wrong way, it's like calling for primary challenger, which is good because, you know, people, like you said, sometimes they campaign on stuff and say the right things during, during their, their runs, but you know, they really don't mean it or believe in it. And I think the accountability now is probably at an all time high as well. What do you feel about that? There is definitely a greater vocalism. And I hear from, you know, in the business stuff, a lot of different fundraisers, people do events that people are eager to show up and do stuff. They're eager to get engaged. Not, you know, uh, turning back to look at America, we've got a lot of people who are really keen to, show up and attend our events, our rallies all over the country, and to get trained and, and turn that back around in their communities. I can tell you that the campaigns I'm familiar with, um, people are engaged. They want, they're turning up to events earlier and paying attention sooner than they are in the election cycle. Uh, the, you know, they want to do things. They, they don't want to sit on the sidelines anymore, and they've become more vocal and emboldened. Um, you can see that also, you know, on these, uh, at a lot of these school board meetings. Yeah. Where people have had enough, they're standing up, they're taking back control of their communities, their states, and eventually, God willing, their country. Yeah, it's, it, it's really incredible to see. You want to talk about a lot of the, the lower level things like, uh, you know, um, city or uh, township governments and school board meetings. You see parents more than ever before demanding to see curriculum, uh, stopping stuff being removed from certain academic aspects, wondering why other things aren't there and then really getting upset about some of the things they're finding out are there and have never been told about. Whether- well, demanding to see curriculum kind of makes sense now because you're just like, what, where did this come from? Yeah. How did how did an email from my, my daughter's guidance counselor get leaked onto the internet that said they're calling my daughter a boy in school and not telling anybody and then telling everybody not to tell everybody? You know, right. tell me. It's just crazy some of the stuff we're seeing but i do like the way you know the grassroots movement has really kind of exploded out into more of a mainstream landscape uh but it does kind of create it's it's very reactionary especially in the republican party now uh, there's several candidates who are, are pretty prominent in the, in the midterms right now who are, are basically either stating there is or there's definitely one coming and that's a civil war within the Republican Party may not be as big as advertised, but still definitely something when you talk about the establishment Beltway boys and a lot of these America first candidates, I think there is a lot of anxiety about some of these candidates, the boot and jean wearing blue collar people getting into D.C. and then having to say, and who's the speaker of the House, who's the leader of the Senate, um, you know, and, and then getting enough numbers in there to where people who have been in government for, for decades might not have too much of a, a, a say in the things that they usually had anymore. And that probably doesn't make the administrate 
it's straight of state happy as well. So how can you weigh in on some of like the infighting, which typically looks like a bad thing? You know, the 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 people on the progressive left are probably going to spin it as a bad thing going in the midterms. But I see it as extremely healthy and probably something that's been long overdue. Yeah, I I I've heard it described as the Republican Civil War, yes. where you again have the realignment towards populism, towards nationalism, towards an America First agenda that uh, President Trump, I think, uh, epitomized, um, and the old guard who are happy to lose the uh, establishment, the neocons, the Chamber of Commerce types uh, who confuse the country with the GDP that they think they're the same thing, and I think what's important to Keep in mind is that, well, who cares about the primary if you don't win a general election? Exactly. Really, or if you can't, does it even matter? I mean, you can have, you could probably get a really nice pissing match between different wings of the Libertarian Party or the Green Party and have them debated out, right? But really, who cares? I'm not going to curse. Who cares? Um, so, uh, so what does it matter unless they win? And here's what what I think is important. And this is why President Trump went one is that when you you adopt a uh, portfolio of issues and language that resonates with a large part of America that neither political party has paid attention to for a very long time. I mean, Democrats want them to die off and replace them. Republicans pay them a little bit of lift service on maybe one or two issues they might care about, and they completely forget about them and disregard them. When you start to engage these people and, you know, you, you, they've, they've had different names going back to history. I think at one point, you know, you could talk about Reagan Democrats. Sure. I think when you're talking about the the blue collar uh, and rural uh, disaffected patriotic Americans who've been completely they, look, if you look at the bad things that have happened in this country and who they've hit worse, that's exactly who they hit. You look at inflation, who's it hit worse? Who these folks, uh, you know, they live in a mobile home park, maybe they rent um, or they are on a fixed income, low income. That's who it hits. You look at the bad trade deals. You look at um, the uh, H-1Bs replacing any chance of moving up the ladder yep. um, in terms of technology work. You look at legal aliens uh, coming in and taking a lot of this, these low skill labor jobs that would ordinarily go to folks who are just at the beginning or who didn't go to college. And, you know, maybe they're just, they just don't have college smarts, but they have world smarts. Um, that's, those are the people who bear the brunt of all the bad things that have happened. It's not the people, you know, sitting around, uh, Washington DC in the towers or, or in New York city who have this, you know, the super, uh, uh, bourgeois lifestyle It's them. And by reaching out to them in a way that they've never been reached before as president Trump did. And actually this is sort of, I was president Trump's director of data and strategy in 16. I wrote a memo specifically saying that, look, we don't even need to win these voters over. We've already got them. We just need to make sure that they vote. And I think that realignment, remember, party realignments don't really work unless they result in greater victories and greater chances of winning in the general election. So I think reaching to these people who are may have considered themselves even on the left in the past because they oppose corporatism, they oppose endless foreign wars, they oppose um, trade deals that basically undercut every, every uh, working person in this country. Those people are gettable for us, whereas before they... They really wouldn't. I mean, they wouldn't even give a Mitt Romney a second glance. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes a whole lot of sense. When you just look at some of the the polling numbers that come out, regardless of who it's from, uh, you know, you want to talk about people on the left who might 
even feel a little bit, you know, the middle class left, just the, just the establishment, typical old school Democrat people who are out there who kind of feel disenfranchised and, and probably have a lot of buyer's remorse. There's the, a huge demographic of like the Hispanic vote and overwhelming independent numbers like we haven't seen in, in, in a really long time who are just like, oh, my gosh, we need to fix whatever we did last January and whatever happened during that election. This is not what I, uh, you know, bought into and, and definitely not enjoying it. So I def- it, it makes for uh, really interesting politics moving forward. Last thing I want to touch you, I don't want to talk about any specifics into it, you know, any, like, endorsements or, or uh, who's working around them, this, that, or the other thing. Just in your opinion off the top, do you think President Trump right now is doing all the right things or most of the right things to kind of align himself up with a uh, successful relaunch of his campaign after the midterm elections? Well, I would presume that he is relaunching his campaign. Yeah. Um, that's the decision that ultimately I think he's the only person that knows it. Uh, I think that he continues to be the leader of the Republican Party, the most influential person. I think that uh, his influence and his, his ability to rally people together, you know, uh, he was just, he was in Texas, had a massive rally yeah. there. Um, probably the largest political event in terms of attendance in Texas history is what their governor said. I can also tell you, I spent quite a few hours. I was with him for maybe four hours straight about three weeks ago. Okay. And he's got the energy of a man half his age. And he's extreme. I mean, it's such a sad contrast because he's like noticing like minor things all the way on the other side of the room, like little minor things he was picking up on and, and relaying you know, his interpretation. He's a very smart, funny guy at all times. And you can grasp, contrast someone like him with what we have in the White House now. And it's just, it's just astounding. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's almost seems like you want to oh. call call the police over elder abuse of what's happening in Biden. You got this other guy who's like he's running around like a 30 year old. So um, I, you know, I, I I'm really eager to see him get back into the race if he chooses to. I'm happy to support him. And, uh, you know, I, I I think he's a he continues to be a really good force for good and also a really good force for, you know, smacking down some of the uh, incompetent people in the Republican Party, like Mitch McConnell, who are um, just so far removed yeah. from uh, the pulse of the party. Yeah. Antoinette, jump in. What were you going to say? And no, I was just going to say I agree. And it made me think of Kanye West when he said he's got we've got that dragon energy. Yeah, <laughs> he definitely has that. You know, you see either you see him out on the golf course or every other night he's hosting this massive event and, and bringing the same energy to the podium, talking about some of these uh great candidates that he's got going through with Mar- Mar-a-Lago there. And, uh, you know, I, I do think he's doing a lot of the right things. And, and people kind of nitpick some of the, you know, either decisions or endorsements or I wish he would do more of this and less of that. But the thing is, it's like I try to explain it like best like this. I remember there was a time, I think it was during Trump's campaign, where they tried to pin illegal aliens who were like digging foundations at a, at a Trump building. And I said, if you just look at it from the outside as someone that doesn't know politics or business or anything, and you you do know Donald Trump, he's the TV star, he's a huge public figure, billionaire playboy. If you think he knows who's digging the ditches that will eventually be the foundation of that building and had anything to do with, number one, the hiring process, and number two, what their immigration status is, you're crazy. And that's kind of like the same thing that goes into, you know, there's a huge, uh, you know, like uh, political apparatus around him that, encompasses all the decisions that are made. I think the biggest ones are probably his, but some of the minor ones probably go off on like a team effort and stuff like that. Just because you got like 500 races in the country right now of people that he's, uh, 
you know, got the pulse on. And if you think he's going to be able to sit down and read dossiers and every single one of them and do all the other things he's doing right now, including holding like the biggest rallies in the history of Texas and stuff like that, you got to, you know, take a step back and think like human being can only do too much. And uh, he already does a lot. So I kind of get what you uh, are saying there and, and, and definitely uh, think moving forward, we're, we're hopefully going to get some, some big news here after the midterm elections from him. Cause uh party still needs it. A lot of unfinished business. If, if you, if you don't agree with that one, you think so, Matt? Yeah, I'm, I like I said, I'm looking forward to what his next moves are. He is probably also going to either, um, uh, he's either going to be the king or the kingmaker. Yeah. So. Yeah. One last thing, I, it just came into my mind. We, we talked with a political strategist a few weeks ago. He, he's pretty prominent in the field. I won't use any names, but uh, he did suggest a lot of the success that Donald Trump is going to have down the road. Uh, includes getting a portion of the band at least back together. I know you're doing a lot of stuff with move ahead and probably aren't going to like give us the details on it now, but he said there was a special formula of people who were around him in 2015 that got him over the finish line. It was just like a kind of a perfect storm of, of everybody doing the right thing and the right people involved. Um, do you kind of agree with that statement of, 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 you know, there's been a lot of people who were around Trump that kind of either didn't even last the presidency and went out and did their own thing. But the more and more we talk to them, it seems like they're all in agreement that, you know, at some point, some of that original, uh, the original band members are going to have to get back there if they're going to go on the national tour again. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's going to happen. I have no idea. All I can do is speak for myself and that, um, you know, I, if, I'd love to work for his campaign. I think it could bring a lot of value. I, but, uh, you know, uh, I guess time will tell. Yeah, we like to hear that. That's kind of the answer I was looking for. Mm -hmm. So they need a really strong bass player and backup singer. Nice. And you could definitely mm -hmm. do both of those, Matt. Listen, we want to direct our listening audience to, uh, you know, and even before you give out your socials and, and, and look ahead at America's site, if you want to just let our, our listenership in uh, on, you know, we've talked about a lot of the things that you're doing, but some of the things that they're, they're sitting at home, they're listening to this podcast right now, and they're like, okay, you know what, I'm pretty motivated. I want to get in touch with Matt. I want to figure out what this organization's about. I either want to physically do it or I want to be able to help fund the things that are going to make sure that my elections are safe, my school boards are safe, the January 6th uh, detainees get the justice that they deserve and, and, and get free for, you know, the the minor incursions or whatever they did on January 6th and stuff like that. So why don't you just let our listening audience, you know, know what they can do and where can, they can find you. It's very simple. Go to lookaheadamerica.org. You can either donate there, which very, you know, appreciative for, or you can go click on volunteer, fill out a volunteer form, and we will put you to work. We, we're looking for your time, talent, and treasure, and we'll make good use of all three. And, you know, look, it, if you've been on the sidelines or maybe just tweeting or, you know, thinking, gosh, this stuff is also awful, well, look, sign up with us. We will put you to work where you live making a difference, and we will train you, we'll give you guidance, uh, and we'll make you effective. As they look, it, you can do something today that you've never done before. Become a community organizer. Sign up to volunteer for us, and we will put you to work. Yeah, I'm telling you right now, you know, all of our friends listening out there, I wish Matt Brainerd could trade me a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, because he, he's one of the best in the business and has been for a long time, and he is the uh, man behind lookamerica.org, and, and we'll be excited to invite you back at some point soon, sir, to talk about even more stuff with the uh, organization, all the progress you're making in addition to the political landscape, et cetera. But uh, thank you for coming on Steak for Breakfast with us today. Hey, always happy to. Hope to do it again sometime soon. Thanks, Matt. Well, it was really good having Matt back on the show. And, uh, yeah, you know, I always look forward to talking with him. He's such a 
trove of information with his vast echelons of knowledge that he brings to the table. Wow. wow. Thank you. He, uh, Where's your thesaurus? <laughs> here, here. There you go. <laughs> well, he didn't paint too much of a bleak picture, but the one in the United States now is uh, the, just that. The economy continues to tank. Inflation's at all-time high. Southern border's wide open. Our administration is fanning the flames of the Russia and Ukraine border dispute, regardless if both countries say that nothing's going on, to the point to where President Zelensky from Ukraine said, you want to know what? I'm going to take off for the weekend and go to some fucking summit in Europe. You guys have fun and do what you do. You keep saying that we're going to war. I'm not even going to be here. (laughs) He left on a plane over the course of uh, the Matt Brainer interview. So Senator Rick Scott weighed in yesterday to talk about just how shitty everything in the United States is right now because it's other yeah other than spending time with my family and doing this podcast it is really nearly impossible to try to find any joy in any other thing just going around other people because everyone in the United States is fucking miserable right now Uh, but it it was beautiful in California when the when the indoor mandate went away yeah but I got to just cold stare this lady just literally like Several seconds of silence. Just, just like that. Unrelenting stare. And just go, I don't have to. The mandates are over as of today. <laughs> I like it. And the look of confusion on this lady's face was amazing. But it's about health and safety. And I said, look it up. And then just walked away from her. Rick Scott didn't have a mask on either. Let's hear what he had to say. Consumer prices up 7.5% and producer prices up 9.7%. Now, in my state, it's, it's having a devastating impact on families. I grew up in a poor family. I watched my mom struggle with inflation. When I was a kid, she would take in odd jobs. Whatever money she had, either my older brother and I would go to the store. We had to add up without a calculator exactly how much things were going to cost, or we had to do the embarrassing thing and say, oh, I don't have enough money and say, uh, you'll have to put that back on the shelf. I've done that. that. I've done that. I hope that wasn't a forced uh, the, dump reference. I watched my mom struggle to buy gas, uh, put food on the table. And now the stories I'm getting all across my state is the same thing. People are going to food banks that never went to food banks before. People are taking second and third odd jobs uh, just to try to make ends meet. Uh, people have to pool where they live. Food's up. Gas is up. Rent's up. And it's all caused by bad economic policy. Mm. And so that you live in a state that's uh, not as costly as California, but it's pretty pricey to live there as well because of the e- extreme amounts of tourism that they bring in. Uh, you, you've seen it as well. I'm sure, you, you know, if it's not energy costs in a place where you always have to run the AC, it's definitely at the gas pump at the grocery store too, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, I mean, your, your cooling bill must be astronomical. Oh, yeah. And then my place has like, you know, floor to ceiling um, massive like windows and like at the uh, second half of the day, the sun beats on us. So our AC is on. I mean, we have our AC on even throughout the winter, winter sometimes because it's still 90 degrees there. (laughs) Yeah. It's bizarre, but I mean, our, our heating bill can be and heating, I'm sorry, cooling bill can be anywhere from on the low end on the, like the really hot, you know, heat wave times, 300 or 600 bucks. Oof. Just depends honestly, but yeah, it's bad. Um, and then, I mean, that's that, but even like, like home property values and all that stuff, because people are leaving in droves from California and coming yep. here. I mean, the, you could just tell the traffic 
we've never had anything like this before. It's you can tell who's from LA by the way they drive as well. Yeah. It's crazy. I can only imagine as things continue to to open up, people are going to be just dishing out more money, looking for more government handouts. Uh, They dropped all the mask mandates here effective immediately. But the funny thing is all the businesses, well, a lot of them dropped it, right? But like some businesses and certain schools are saying, um, no, we know we're still going to keep the masks for now. And you'll like, you'll talk to some of these people and you'll say, but the, the governor's mandate is done. He said, effective immediately, it's over. And they're like, no, we know we're, we're going to wait a little bit longer. But they use the same excuse of the governor's mandate to tell you that they're, that's why they're enforcing the masks. Yep. So it's just so ass backwards. It's K- crazy. Kudos it's to, better. go ahead. It's still better, you know, it, yeah. it's than it was before now, you know, and people are slow, slowly letting it go. Because, I mean, obviously it's been two years and some people just got really used to their uh, security blanket face diaper. Yeah, 100%. And kudos to people like Michelle Fiore and uh, senatorial candidate Adam Lexot, who really put pressure on the governor uh, yep. with a lot of public display and uh, social media posts demanding that this non-science-backed garbage, especially in a hot-ass place like Nevada, get taken down immediately. Mm-hmm. So Larry Kudlow weighed in yesterday. I saw his show. Uh, the audio quality is not great, but he does a really nice framing of Joe Biden's America Last platform. Let's hear it. Energy. Though we shouldn't have removed the Nord Stream 2 sanctions, which was a gift to Putin almost a year ago, the fact is a healthy American fossil fuel industry would not even care about Russian oil or natural gas. That might be Europe's problem because of their dumb climate change policies, but it would not be our problem. So a year ago, I sat in this chair and put forward my vision of the American economy. It was one of optimism and faith, supply side economics, free enterprise, free market capitalism, all the best way to a prosperous America. And I suggested that a thriving, growing America has so many marvelous opportunities that it makes a happier America. And prosperity at home means strength abroad. Working folks, minorities, all gaining jobs and higher wages. I've always believed that the greatest welfare program of all is a good paying job. Amen. You know, I worked for the Reagan and Trump presidencies. I also wrote a book about the supply side Democrat, John F. Kennedy. And my conviction today, a year after we began this show, is as strong as ever. Unfortunately, and I I mean this sincerely, unfortunately, Joe Biden has done everything in reverse. He has promoted big government socialism, inflationary spending, higher taxes, more regulations, soft on crime, and has immeasurably weakened this country's standing abroad. His polls have plunged faster and deeper than anyone has ever seen. It's a pity, and I mean that. But I do believe conservative principles are everlasting and universal. We saved America and killed the bill. Now we'll hang tough while we wait for the cavalry to come in November. Hmm. Kind of a nice framing of it. Yeah. He's pretty solid. I think, uh, you know, it's one of those things where when someone lays it out there just like that and talks about like the geopolitical implement uh in 
effects of, of this regime and some of the stupid ass shit that they started to do abroad that have, you know, carried over to here and, and kind of breaks the will of the American people. And then at the same time, you talk about printing so much unlimited fucking cash during this whole fabricated pandemic that has just put our economy in a hole it's going to take a couple years to get out of. It's not going to. It's We're beyond getting out of it. Just riding it out? No, it's we're just, we're hosed. Long game? Long game's going to be like staying alive. Maybe the next intro song for episode <laughs> 110. Well, speaking of military disasters, Joe Kent weighed in on all things Ukraine, the former special forces operator and CIA operative who probably has extensive experience in the region, or at least game planning about it. Um, talked about how uh, this whole thing is centered around one big issue, and that is is that the neocons and the military-industrial complex are frothing at the mouth because it's been oh so long. Oh, yeah. so they've been able to burn their equipment and get mm-hmm. unlimited money from our government to make new shit. <laughs> Joe Kent has lived with the sad consequences of lies like these. He's a former member of the Army Special Forces. He's also running for Congress in Washington State, where, of course, we're rooting for him. He joins us tonight. Joe Kent, thanks so much for coming on. So, you know, nobody on this show is pretending to know what Russia's going to do or what Ukraine's going to do, but our job is to spot lying, and it's very easy to spot it in this story. No, absolutely. This is the same rhetoric that got us into the Iraq war. It's really tragic to see that our elected officials, our ruling class, our national security, so-called adults in the room, have learned absolutely nothing that we learned over the past two decades of continuous combat, especially the lies that got us into a war in Iraq. So just thank God right now we have independent journalists, we have social media, we have the work that you're doing, and we can call these people out and call them out for their lies. Because right now, Biden's political machine is willing to drive us into a war to divert from his failings here at home at the behest of the military industrial complex. You know, I've heard people describe the intel community as the fourth branch of government. I thought it was an overstatement. Then I see mouth breathers like Tony Blinken just (laughs) repeating Mm. these talking points clearly directly from a CIA briefing. I see reporters do the same. Talk show hosts do the same. Poor old Joe Biden has no idea what he's saying, but he's repeating the same lies. It does feel like a lot of our foreign policy is controlled by people we didn't vote for in the intel community. Yep. It really is. And, and these so-called intelligence experts, they're completely and totally uncreative. They're not offering any actual solutions. All they're saying every time right. there's a problem is that we just need to go to war at, at the behest of the military industrial complex, when what they should be doing is offering ground truth and then saying, hey, we have other options here. We have economic power that we can use. They should be doing everything to prevent us from going to war, as opposed to every time defaulting to the one thing that has never worked and will be absolutely destructive for not just our country but for every country and that's war yeah well you lost your your wife in war so i I think you know a lot about this topic i i hope that more elected officials will start saying what you just said joe kent thanks so much for coming on tonight thank you joe Joe kent's awesome he's fucking surging right now you know we were the second show i believe he ever was on first podcast and He he loves us the most he does like us hey joe kent will answer a text message in minutes you know, I'll see him post something on Instagram, and I'll I'll text him, and he'll immediately text me back when he's doing like photo ops, at, you know, some campaign event. But I don't know if you remember, and I know it's because of his background, military, you know, the intelligence community. He obviously went through a whole bunch of stuff with his wife. Um, 
he was extremely stiff. He was very short, but firm in his answers. But now it's just like he is completely like blossomed, I guess is the best word I'm saying. And someone that could like take everything he's had happen to him and all the experience he's gotten it and put it into more like elegant words. And that that flow more. It's a it's a big jump for somebody in the military to go from like yelling at a pack of retards to talking to the general public. Yeah. The intelligence, too, that's, you know, used to being just quiet and behind the scenes, you know, thrusting themselves in the public eye, you know, and uh, on television and whatnot. You kind of have to find your comfortable space. It's just like it's not easy. No, it it certainly isn't. And no offense to people who identify as a pack of retards. I'm with you there. (laughs) We we do love our packs of retards. Um, It's me. They're youthful. It's me. It's me. (laughs) We we do have, you know. Some other stuff to talk about. I think Antoinette's going to like this one uh, regarding Durham. Uh, mm-hmm. No new developments, even though a, a recently uh, published New York Times article, I believe it was released this morning, kind of, what is the word I'm looking for? They put words in Durham's mouth like almost he's thinking in his brain that he wants to separate himself from the narrative that a lot of the conservatives portrayed of his recent findings over the weekend last week. They alluded. So. Not- Funny, they're speaking for Durham. <laughs> and rewriting history. Durham releases stuff on paper that's black and white. He gives no statements, no of anything. People who are legal experts like the Rick Grinnells, Matt Whitakers, Cash Patels of the world break it down and give their interpretations of it. And they know what's going on too, you know, but they can only say so much. Exactly. But the thing is, the New York Times just says like, well, they probably just go into a room and be like, it doesn't matter what we say. John Durham's not going to say anything. He's not going to come out and be like, oh, well, I didn't, I don't mean that by my re- most yeah. recent findings. It's not for the New York Times to interpret it that way and then say that's my narrative. So they just print whatever the fuck they want and see what, no, I'm going to circle back to your uh, pronoun. Retard will take it and soak it up as like, oh, yeah, they're just still trying to pin shit on Hillary Clinton, which we will get to in a bit. He's probably laughing his ass off behind the scenes, though, because he's like, once I bust out with everything, these fuckers are going down. Yeah, just imagine, like, the shit that he's just hanging on to just in case. He's oh, like, yeah. this one's going to be good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this one in the safe for a little while. I, I certainly hope so. because He's, after- probably, got a, he's probably got a kill switch, too. Mm, oh, of course. My I favorites. mean, come on. Uh, after Green, Jean, Bien, mm-hmm was peppered with questions regarding Durham last week and refused to answer any of them. Jen Psaki was back and uh, was asked some of the same. Let's see what she had to say about it. a shitty tag team wrestling match. Mm. Do you know if there's still a system picking up server data on the EOP and if not, when it stops? Again, I I know you asked my colleague a few questions about this the other day, uh, but I would point you any questions about this to the Department of Justice. And then is what was described in the, the filing there, monitoring internet traffic, is that... Generally speaking, would that be considered something along the lines of spying? Let me guess. She's Again, refer I'm to the, pointing to the Department yeah. of Justice. Go ahead. Yeah. She should have just went with the go-to that they said the you know the other day. The Justice Department said they don't know. <laughs> it's so fucking idiotic that that's an acceptable. Like, I mean, I know everybody does it on either side, but it's the equivalent of. I mean, not. I do not recall. Remember, Kaylee would like answer. Oh, yeah, she would bring the binder of truth out. Yeah, I, would, I was like so inspired. I'm like, oh, man. They could probably sell that binder on eBay <laughs> once they redact all the, you know. an auction for Kaylee's binder. <laughs> yeah. Well, just when you think you could. I'd buy uh, a page. As right. if 
the derm nerve pretty much dies there. But Senator Chuck Grassley took to the uh, Senate floor yesterday to talk about his. Do you trust Grassley? Well, he doesn't trust Facebook, and he wants to know why his Facebook post was removed as <laughs> false information <laughs> when he retweeted an article or posted something that was about Derev. This was yeah, yeah. this is a pretty good one. I was surprised to learn <laughs> that Facebook recently flagged a news article flagged. that I posted on my Facebook pages as quote-unquote false information. <laughs> the article I posted was about new Durham investigation allegations against Hillary Clinton's campaign and its associates. The article clearly cited a federal court filing and a former congressional investigator with a deep understanding of the Democrats' work to concoct the bogus Russia collusion narrative that divided our nation for years. This wouldn't be an issue today if more journalists did their job of being the police of our society and governmental system and reported on all investigations, not just ones that appeal to certain political parties. Mm. What kind of a message does this censorship send to a reporter who does take on the new allegations against the Clinton campaign and its associates? Uh Yeah. He's he's mad about his Facebook. (laughs) Does he have one of those profile pictures where it's like, the 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 backwards uh, camera and it's like accidentally taking a picture of his under chin. That's my that's my dad. I was just thinking about my dad being so into like my dad doesn't really post anything oh, like by like political. But if he were to because he loves his Facebook, a lot of boomers do. You know that's where they congregate with their you know their other buddies and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, I, I just he'd think get it, so upset if his article or something was censored. He'd be like, "This is communist country." <laughs> I, I posted so the I posted the Facebook article. To my Facebook, and then onto my Facebook page, and <laughs> Facebook removed it. <laughs> Fucking Facebook. Peaches. Here, here. Peaches. Don't worry. I'm not. Because while all this is going on. Actually, I'm a little worried. Joe Biden remembers exactly which administration he served under. Which one? The, you know, the I thing. started the cancer moonshot, which I worked what? very hard on. And what? The, administration, the administration I Did served Did you just say cancer last. moonshine? What? What did he say? Did he say moonshine or moonshine? You want want an instant replay of that one? Yes, please. (laughs) Coming in hot. I started the cancer moonshot, which I worked very hard on in the administration, the administration I served in last. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. You know, you know, that administration. At least he didn't pull like a... You know, when he's talking about Satchel Page to the Pope, you know, that last administration with the, the beautiful, black, strong president. Oh, my word. Talking about Big Mike? He's talking about <laughs> Barack Obama. I mean, that's a little big Mike. and strong. Little Barry. I don't really know. I wouldn't, if I was him, identify as that. Well, that's the current state of your nation right now. I, I, I hate to uh, <sighs> encompass you all with so much joy and glee. But, uh, yeah, not much has changed in the last three days in the news cycle, except uh, it's got a little bit progressively worse. We did hear some some strong talking points, though, from some of our friends. And uh, as we're getting ready to jump in right now with one of our newest friends, 
Michael Johns, who's the founder, co-founder of the Tea Party. We're going to uh, have a nice long discussion with him about the current state of politics in general. And uh, we'll break to him as his audio is loading right now. All right, joining us next, he is a leading conservative thought leader, policy expert, strategist, communicator, and activist. He has served as a White House presidential speechwriter, a Heritage Foundation policy analyst, and a senior aide to both Republican U.S. Senator and Governor and the 9-11 Commission Chairman. He's also the co-founder of the Tea Party. Mr. Michael Johns, thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. It is a great pleasure to be with you guys, to connect with you guys, and um, love that don't tread on me flag you got going on there. That's fantastic. Well, thank you, sir. And it's great to finally connect with you. I know you and I have been talking for a while. We spoke a couple times via the telephone and had some great conversations, and uh, I, you know, we finally get to bring you on and let our listenership hear what you've got to say about some of the uh, major issues that are affecting the country right now. Right on. Right on. Well, let's jump right into it. So right now in the United States, we've got a pretty bleak picture following the 2020 presidential election, but that goes way further back than that decades that has seen, you know, destabilization of the fabric that is essentially the soul of the United States, whether it be, the rise of socialism and communism in the United States, the defund the police movement, um, you know, George Soros interjecting district attorneys and judges throughout the country, all the way down to like stuff that's going on in school boards within school districts and stuff like that. What do you think really, where did we get off the beaten path and, and what is the motive behind it to have the country in kind of the state it's in now, especially in like the major cities, which, you know, 20, 30 years ago were some of the most beautiful major cities in the world. And I'm talking like New York, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C. And some of these places you can't even, you know, step outside of your door once the sun goes down. And well, in some places, even during the day now. Yeah, I mean, you can try to kill somebody and then walk out on crowdfunded uh, bail. As yep. We just saw in the BLM activist in the past week yep. and uh, spent a lot of time in New York City and you know, lived um, up that way for a while. And obviously, well, I guess over a decade in Washington, D.C. and in Center City, Philadelphia. Those are three cities that I think, as you correctly say, are historically great cities. And you cannot, in my view, to be blunt about it, have a great country without having great cities. Right. But where do we go straight? It's been a slow march off the course that's been going on much longer than I think most appreciate um, all the way back, at least to the nineties part. And, and, and part of the problem, part of the crisis is that we conservatives sort of are taught early on or learn early on to believe that we are engaged in a battle of what we call the battle of ideas. When I first started it, the battle for the hearts and minds of the American people and that we will win or lose that on the meritous value and uh, operational success or failure of our policies. That's our, that's our sense. So we're constantly looking for the best ideas. We're constantly trying to debunk bad ideas. The other side, at some point in there, it's tough to you know, identify a precise date, but it's been going on certainly throughout the 21st century. Uh, move more to uh, street brawl tactics. Yeah. Um, meaning infiltrating institutions, 
putting a gun to the head of a lot of these places and saying that they're going to make life uncomfortable if they don't do things their way. When you think about the institutions that we've lost over the last few decades, um, it's not, you know, it's nearly comprehensive and, and, and uh, all-encompassing. I mean, ed- education was self-evident. Uh, when I sort of began my involvement in the 80s, both primary education and obviously collegiate and university education, that's now 95% in the hands of the kind of socialist, globalist left. You know, there are a few sort of prominent um, tenured professors who continue to kind of, you know, hang in there with it, but it's gone. Uh, what's the plan for getting that, those institutions back? I don't know. Media has been gone forever. Yeah. The only the only issue is that uh, main, I'm talking about mainstream media, obviously. The only issue is that the the magnitude of the bias has gone from subtle sort of omissions or adjectives or um, you know coverage biases that educate politically educated and involved people like us would have noticed in the '80s to not even any really. <laughs> serious effort to conceal uh, that they are partisan players rooting for one side side and trying to tear the other side down. The only positive to that is that it has given birth to uh, burgeoning conservative media, but that wasn't the plan from the very beginning. And we're, and you know, which is part of the problem here is that we're always in a reactionary mode. Sometimes we find a way out of these jams, but we're never out there executing on our strategy. And then you go on, you know, obviously we just got through with four years of what I think was exactly the sort of president we needed, at least from the policy agenda and from his steel spine, I guess. Yeah. And I endure, and you may know I, I endorsed Trump day one of his candidacy, June 16, 2015, which was not particularly popular as a Tea Party Movement co-founder. I was, you know, in a distinct minority there. And I've, you know, and I could go on with details. I can remember being on Megyn Kelly, where uh, Rich Lowry, a longstanding colleague of mine, uh, editor of National Review, you know, said I was handing the White House to uh, Hillary Clinton. You know, when you get done with that and you have a colleague and a peer who levels an allegation like that against you and you can't, you know, I don't care how strong you are and I'm strong, I'm a strong old person um, through experience, through upbringing, long before even my political involvement, it shakes you a little bit. And oh, yeah. You. And you never, and by the way, you never get any apology from these guys. They never call you up and go, wow, man, you really, you really did actually call that right. And I'm sorry for telling a few million people that you were, uh, you know, politically damaging our side. No, those calls never come. Instead, these guys sort of turn around and what, you know, and write as he did now a book on kind of the case for populism, like he's been with it the whole time. I mean, some of this stuff is so absurd that um, you don't know where to start. And, you know, so media, academia, uh, the administrative state, I guess we're calling it now, you know, meaning you can win an election, win a presidential election. Um, You know, if you're going to have anonymous sitting at the right hand of the Secretary of Homeland Security, Secretary of Homeland Security, you're not going to get a wall built. Nope. Period. 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 So, you know, you, you that 
was the biggest omission and problem in the last four years. Um, and, uh, you know, and then you get into kind of high culture, low culture, entertainment, Hollywood. Um, we used to say, well, we still have, you know, the military. No, even that now, you know, going through its own wokeism. Um, precisely where is our power center? It's now, as I've long believed, only really with the people. Um, the vast majority of the American people who, when they hear us, when they see how sincere we are about what motivates us to get in this, hopefully, which is, you know, just to save this country. And it's not a cliche, it's not rhetoric. That's, you know, what brought me into it. And I think brings some into it. Um, that's hopefully a powerful enough offsetting force against all of these institutions that really have the system very much rigged yeah. against us. Yeah, they, they sure do. And, 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 you know, you mentioned the administrative state. I, I, we've talked about it on the show in extent and with, you know, former Trump administration officials, especially who saw it firsthand, and, and you kind of laid it out there. You can have a president get into the White House like Donald Trump who has, you know, a wonderful agenda. And as soon as these things start moving, these people who – have no bosses they they're appointees who have been there for decades who only care about you know their retirement funds and how the stock market looks if it had anything else to do with that they know that their boss is going to change in the next four to eight years and they're just going to sit there and slow it down as much as they can and there's nothing nobody can do about it until there's some accountability for uh you know these hundreds of thousands of people who work in all these agencies that kind of gum up the system and slow down uh you know, even really popular presidents like Donald Trump's agendas. Yeah, there's a lot of people that don't do anything but get paid very well for it. Very well. Yeah, when Bush 41, who I was a presidential speechwriter for, lost the 92 election to um, Clinton, which for most actives today, that's like even before their involvement. I can remember a Washington Post article that it interviewed, I guess I'm not going to mention his name, but a, a very high-ranking official, White House official, in the in the Bush administration said so what what causes will you know your personnel like now go on to pursue given that you're they're leaving federal government and uh his answer was our personnel don't have causes they have mortgages <laughs> yeah and I thought about that and I'm like you know this is uh I guess if I were to describe it benignly a problematic scenario because yeah, that's true, I guess. But um, we're facing an opposition force that, you know, is it's just it, we're playing two different games, I guess, as I led into this whole thing. And I think that's why we can win over the people and still lose. I mean, where you can literally have like an administration, you know, subsidizing crack pipe uh, usage and you know, the ball, like nothing is beyond the pale of what they can do. Well, you almost think like in the West when they're saying, oh, my God, we got away with that one. And 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 no one called this out. Afghanistan, a debacle, this border crisis. I'm sure you guys have probably addressed is, you know, we're talking about concerns, at least in today's media, about a possible invasion or partial invasion of Ukraine by Putin. Our country has been under an invasion 
um, since January 20th, um, 2001, of what is often cited as two, but is more likely three million people uh, and people. I mean, who? Well, you know, lots of um, state orchestrated uh, hostile power infiltrators with, um, you know, very dangerous designs on the country. And then obviously from a criminal perspective, uh, both in human trafficking and in drug trafficking, lots of problems, fentanyl uh, overdoses, you know, we're not hearing enough about that, but they're already skyrocketing like they were under Obama. Trump had made great progress on that uh, as part of the, the border issue. 95% of street fentanyl is coming out of um, China's Communist Party. Yep. And um, you kind of have, let me just kind of wrap it up, wrap this question up with what, the question that I think we all need to answer is what would, we always, I think, have a degree of patience and understanding with individuals who might look at crisis confronting the country and come to inaccurate conclusions about how to solve those problems in the earliest days of my involvement, that was a sort of debate that I was involved in. And that can be frustrating when you see other people, sure. they're also Americans coming to wrong conclusions. You look at this, this is not that sort of debate right now. It is almost inconceivable to look at these issues. And let's just take Afghanistan and let's take um, the border and the pandemic management and say, these people are on the other side ideologically, but they're not stupid. They're experienced, intelligent, competent, capable people. We had 20 years of experience in Afghanistan, longest war in American history. We, we had immense experience in handing off military assets in Iraq. Uh, the manual for that was not picking up in the middle of the night and not notifying anyone and leaving in an one of the most strategic air bases that we had in the world, yep. a few <laughs> unguarded, and by the way, a high security prison also on Bargham uh, air base holding uh, some of the most dangerous terrorists in the world that were promptly fleeing when we left. I mean, what motivates that action? Like, I would like, I'm not even hearing a thesis about that, but that is the question. That is the big, big hundred thousand dollar question. It certainly is. And what it has done in turn, something we have seen in small instances probably in the past, but now more than ever, is the rise of the populist, nationalist, America first candidate. The true, not the people who come out and say, I stand with President Trump and Trump era policies, but the actual people who Donald Trump for years through the campaign trail and throughout the course of his presidency said were the forgotten people of the country, the blue collar workers, the people who cared about families, the people who cared about communities, small businesses, veterans and, and stuff like that. And we, we've just seen, you know, some of the best and brightest stars heading into this midterm election kind of rise to the top and, and, you know, say that they want to bring things to DC, um, you know, that people only speculate, or you hear Republicans who are in the beltway right now talk about once they have no control to do anything about it. Like, oh, yeah, if, if Donald Trump was here, that border would be shut down and we'd be doing all this. Well, 
even when Donald Trump was president, after the midterm elections in 2018, they didn't necessarily have the numbers to do that. So, you know, that kind of went into the gumming up process. But what do you what do you think really is the pulse of this rise of the America First movement? And how is, uh, you know, that kind of interwoven into what the Tea Party is doing right now? The, the rise of American populism and the MAGA movement, one which is really probably ultimately the biggest accomplishment of Trump's candidacy. It's not really, and by the way, it's not something he promised us really when he campaigned in, in 15 and 16. He never said, hey, I'm going to build this movement that's going to sustain itself. Uh, so well, he fell, fell short for reasons some beyond his control on some of the promises. That is one, one of the great ongoing uh, contributions he's made to our political lives and potential to return. But what's driven it is this reality that exists that we have that you're running for one of these races. I, I talk to these guys all the time. We elected over 60 of them, as you know, in, in 2010 and yep. ended the um, in the Tea Party uh uh, su- election sweep really held the Obama eight-year uh, presidency to two years. Yep. You know, the remaining six years were executive orders or him having to deal with um, Republicans, which he hated, absolutely hated to do. He didn't even like to deal with Democrats <laughs> in Congress. Very, uh, you know, sort of isolated guy in his in the way he liked to do things not not a consensus builder at all so what happens is you get say let's take these 60 guys they all say and say the right things most of them had never you know been or spent professionally much time in washington and um, are utterly unaware of the pressures that you confront day one when you arrive there and part of that is a real systematic problem let's just take congress as part of it with the way Congress operates. And it's something that we can all, I think, probably on at least on our side, and maybe even with Democrats and the left, uh, who might look at it similarly, uh, resolve. I think we have to resolve is that there's too much power in the hands of the ballot in House and Senate leadership. So, you know, you take McCarthy, you take, um, um, Pelosi in the House, and you take um, uh, Schumer and uh, McConnell in the Senate, nothing happens in either of those two bodies nope. without those guys being involved. Yep. And I would tell these guys who would be caught, you know, everyone who sort of, when they're, when they're new to it and they get really jazzed up in, about running and changing the world, right? you know, requires a conversation. You really have to have a conversation with these people because you have to explain what happens when on day one, when you arrive as a member of, as a first term member of Congress, and it's nothing that you learn in um, social studies in (laughs) middle school. It's you, you're basically told like any other job, I guess, look, um, we're going to basically write the bills. We're going to decide what the policy priorities are. We're going to ask and, and insist that you that you vote for them. And if you do that, we're going to raise a boatload of money for your reelection. We're going to make sure you aren't you aren't primary. We're going to make sure you get on the right um, committees that you want to be on and that are fruitful for you and your 
political success. We're going to make sure your legislation gets on the floor and is actually voted on and hopefully is, is passed. Um, and we're going to make sure that that uh, you have a great uh, and long career in Congress. That's option. That's sort of door number one, right? And door number two is um, you can come here thinking that you represent uh, three quarters of a million or a million people back in your district, and that you're going to be responsive to them and not us. In those cases, um, don't count on being on any of the committees you want to be on. Don't count on any of your legislation ever touching the floor of the Congress. Count on us probably trying to recruit primary candidates against you in your district and raising boatloads, millions uh, for them to unseat you. And, and while you're waiting to lose your next election, um, we're going to make this a hugely uncomfortable and unfriendly place for you. Don't count on us even saying hello to you in the hallways. And, um, you know, you find me, the leaders today who can, who can face those two doors and still pursue the right avenue of doing the people's work, not as a matter of political rhetoric, campaigning, or saying one thing in district and doing another in these, but actually living that experience. And I would contend really in, you know, Congress right now, 535 men and women. I don't really believe that you could identify one who uh, has been exempt from capitulating to some degree, varying degrees, but you know, some who completely have capitulated, some who mostly capitulated. But you can just look at the issues that are just off the table of discussion. You mentioned some of them right at the outset. Um, you know, for instance, um, I uh, was concerned about what I saw on November 3, okay. as I think you guys were. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, while, and I'm not a, um, I'm a studious person in this profession, meaning I think it's a difficult field. And one of the things that I think I bring to it is that when I say an issue is vital and important, that I've been typically right about that. When I say something is a distraction and not a priority, I've been right about that. And when I say that there's something underneath this that we need to uncover, I've been right about that. And you know, it started with some good fortune about some calls I had about the Soviet Union's collapse, um, which I was sort of openly predicting with a few others in the late 80s, but we were laughed at. I mean, we were subjected to the same sort of culture of ridicule in Washington. You know, these, I'm not gonna mention the institutions, but really iconic uh, mainstream and, and left of center um, experts in this field found it laughable when I said that I felt the Reagan doctrine was going to bring down the Soviet Union, not in 10, 20, 30 years, but in 10, 20, 30 months. That literally was laughed at. And of course, that's what happened. Yeah. But um, I think when you look at the situation um, today, you say, all right, uh, I've read the Navarro reports, all three editions. Just, you know, I'm like, okay, let me understand that. I read that. I go, well, that's incredibly compelling. It certainly looks like six states 
at least probably all 50 I've come to believe as others have deserve, you know, scrutiny. I read the uh, Texas AG's filing with the Supreme Court, which uh, was never heard by that court. Right. And then I, and then like, you know, any uh, of the prominent Trump allies, I have defended this publicly against people on the other side. And what I've found again is they don't have the smallest clue about what they're talking about. It's not as if they've done their own homework and evaluated and researched. There's no, there's no Navarro rebuttal to the Navarro reports because such a report couldn't be written because it's impeccably accurate. Yeah. Or you would see you know, a major study coming out from you know, the establishment with Democrats debunking it. Where is now? Uh, that's so I understand that part of it because the, that's you know the fight for for political power. What I don't understand is our side. And let me ask you just one question that I think everyone ought to be asking. The, the, the one person who was best positioned to understand what happened on November on, on November 3 was Ronald McDaniel running the RNC, who had almost a billion dollars to uh, investigate, protect, and litigate, if necessary, um, election uh, improprieties, uh, fraud, um, criminality. We're now 13 months, I guess, past uh, this or more. Since the, since the inauguration, since kind of, every, you know, most of us had concluded there were issues. She has not to date, to my knowledge, either affirmed President Trump's position that Biden is illegitimate, uh, nor has she debunked that allegation. How is that possible? It's embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Extremely. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of things you could say about Ronald McDaniel. How is it possible that you avoid, you know, it, it's like saying, you know, I'm going to be a construction worker, but I, I don't hammer nails, you know. <laughs> it's kind of, it, it, like, like, and, and literally, I don't believe that in a forthright way she's been asked this question of whether she does or does not. And by the way, be, whatever conclusion she has would be helpful to the country. Like, for instance, if she said that, um, you know, she agrees with Trump, then obviously that would give a lot of po- political momentum in these states for the efforts that are underway. I also have thought, and I haven't heard this argument, but I'll lay it out for you guys to comment on, is that if I'm sitting there, I'm a federal judge, and I'm hearing these motions, uh, or I'm being asked to hear these motions, I'm... And I'm thinking in the back of my head, hey, the head of your own party hasn't even validated this stuff. That, to me, is is a complete disincentive to be acting boldly. Sure. And so it, when you look at what's happened, it's fallen down from where it should have been handled. Um, and and, and the, but the other weakness are these RNC lawyers and, and even the justice lawyers that we relied on on a lot of the Trump things that had to go to court. You can if, I don't know if you've ever listened to them argue these cases, but but they 
it, it's clear that they either do not fully understand the issues, haven't prepared for them, or they have, and they just are not wanting to win. Yeah, I mean, I, I recall even on the border wall cases, the basic questions that would be asked of, of DOJ attorneys like, well, you're alleging that there's a national security threat to an open border. What, what evidence do you have of that? What's the evidence of that? And they would sit there and stumble, like not be unable to answer that question. Well, you know, any like even a little bit educated Trump voter could answer that question, much less the DOJ attorney. You know, and and so this crisis runs real deep, and uh, it and it also it re I reiterate this uh, personnel as policy issue because we all knew that to be the case, and um, I remember back in January seventeen, Trump comes in, unlike a lot of administrations, like I like I never set out to aspire to be a like a White House presidential speechwriter. Just kind of came together the way those these things typically come come together through, you know, oh, this guy would be good, boom, 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 call, and, you know, it, I, I got that job quicker than I've gotten a lot of other jobs. But um, they were very insistent, you know, you have to, uh, for all people who want to be part of it, you have to, you know, so it's Reince Priebus, who did everything he could to kill Trump's candidacy during it, told him after the Access Hollywood case to get out, is yep. the first appointment made. Uh, I'm not going to drop a lot of these names that people may not recognize, but then he puts in, a, you know, other people in, in presidential personnel. And, you know, even if they had the best intentions, they're, they don't have the right role decks. You know, they don't, you know, so they set up this uh, network, right, to where you had to, like, send resumes into greatagain.gov. If you might recall this. Yeah. And it, was, it was really promoted. It was like, hey, you know, help, help Trump you know, drain the swamp, send your resume. So I, you know, I'm talking to these guys, probably a lot of the same guys you are all the time. And we're maybe three or four months in and I'm seeing vacancies all over the place in the administration. I'm seeing a lot of Jeb Bush camp campaign people, nothing. You know, I knew Jeb Bush all the way back to college at the University of Miami, nothing against him, but that's not what people voted for, personnel ending up there. And I'm seeing a, a worse in most indefensible position, Obama holdovers yeah. all over the place who apparently had convinced them that the work they were doing was so essential that they could, that they just simply, simply could not be replaced. And of course, those are people that, you know, like, you know, led the Ukraine impeachment effort, undermined a lot of the policy initiatives, delayed, slow walk stuff, et cetera. Uh, so I asked, what's going on? I go, you got, got this great database. You got this great idea. I love the idea of getting more non-political people who just were buying into the MAGA agenda to to go be a part of that administration. That's how government should function in a lot of ways. And I said, what, what's going on with that? They go, well, you're not going to believe it, Michael, but um, it crashed. The server crashed. And we lost a lot of these resumes. We lost all of them, in fact. Wow. Never got a whole lot of attention. But then I, you know, it took me about 30 seconds of pondering that to realize that, that server never crashed. That server was crashed. Yeah. 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 It's a, uh, it's, I mean, all the stuff that you touched on, everything from like, you know, hitting on Ranch Previous and, and his amazing. And I'm not hitting on him. I mean, he's, he's, he's him. 
Okay, yeah. you know, and 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 he's he's got his skill sets and things he does well and things he doesn't do well. But he's not what we voted for. He's not what what sixty three million Americans went out and voted for in two thousand sixteen, right? I mean, I would say that to his face, and I, I you know, uh, I don't think he would deny that. No, I don't think he would either. All right, Mike. I want to move on a little bit and talk about what you think. You know, we've we've described some of these candidates. We've talked about uh, some of the things that, you know, gummed up the Trump administration in the first one, where we're kind of at now. We're now like nine months out from probably one of the most pivotal elections ever. I know people said it in years past, first Trump candidacy. Every election is the most important in American history. Right, and, and and in the state of the country's in right now, what do you think needs to happen to see some success? One of the biggest points you've pointed out already, and it goes all the way from the top, has to do with leadership. Ron McDaniel, Mitch McConnell, Kevin McCarthy, a lot of these America First candidates out here are getting together with people who are already in the beltway and saying that that leadership is something that needs to be changed and it's need to be changed for a long time. And they're kind of getting these people to get on board and saying, you know what, if we get enough of us together, 60, maybe 70 seats, even more, five to seven in the Senate, maybe these people are not going to be the leadership in the Republican party anymore. What do you think these guys need to do to get over the finish line and really hit it home in some of these uh, tougher races nationally? Well, I, I think we start with the fact of, you know, of continuing to say we have this like big, you know, hole in his, in the recent history that we haven't filled in. Like I, I am of the position that um, that you know, not having audited reports, but I would say you know, of all these things I've done on November three, on the on this issue, that there's enough there that I don't understand why it's not like a priority of forget just Republicans and conservatives, but um, anyone who cares about our Constitution. This is a, this is a, if if it went down the way the Navarro report reports it was, and by the way. I'm not speaking out of school here. I've also read the affidavits. I've spoken to people who under penalty of law have signed these affidavits. And I've inquired not just about what they witnessed, but what sort of inquiry they've had from the logical federal law enforcement that should be evaluating it. And I am utterly underwhelmed and and shocked that, that this is, there is no seriousness. And so it keeps falling down, down, down to the point where we've got, uh, you know, like who's running this thing even. And by the way, didn't we, how much money was raised for, for even just after the election for this effort? And it was a quarter of a billion dollars. There's no shortage of resources. Uh, Yet if I had some new information right now, and I had to pass it on. I would go, you know, through this person and that person, and hoping that, you know, like who is like it just seems so unstructured to me for for what what is literally a defining moment in American history, which would be in the eyes of a large percentage of the country, and in the and more maybe more importantly, in the eyes of those who really evaluated it, a illegitimate president. Yeah. Um, now I'm not saying that I, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that I, that I'm at the point where I say that that's happened or not happened. But the fact that we're not getting to the bottom of it is what's on my mind even more than 2022. Now, as it relates to 2022, if you want to bet the seriousness of a candidate, um, 
first, if you you know if you're a Senate candidate and you're going to go vote, if, if you're not going to make a promise right now that that we're going to move on from Mitch McConnell, wish him well with wherever he's going, but that where he's going is not going to be you know the Senate majority or uh, leader, minority leader, then I, you're not part of the solution. If you're not right now saying to what I just basically said, that there's enough serious smoke here, that there almost certainly is fire. And documentable stuff that still hasn't even been just worked into the electoral college count, you know? So even the stuff that everyone acknowledges has happened, say Clark County, thousands of people, that moved out of Clark County voted in Clark County. Why have those like not been backed out of the final election counts? You know, this Maricopa County situation is so glaringly apparent. How is this thing still lingering? Why is it being managed by volunteers? I mean, if you're not out there on that issue, um, once you arrive in the culture I just described of how Congress actually functions, mm-hmm. which sadly has become very donor, it's very donor based. Um, you, you're not going to be part of the solution, and uh, you're going to be another politician whose promises are either forgotten or are reminded of being broken. And you know, impressive, like just I guess in the last 24 hours of seeing McCarthy say he's going to um, endorse one of uh, Liz Cheney's opponents, but don't get confused by that. Um, you know, these are distraction tactics from, you know, really such a broad system. And it's not, and I want to be clear, not, these aren't even personal attacks because these guys are in these positions because of the best fundraisers in each respective party. I mean, we, we, does anyone believe that, that with due respect to their fundraising capabilities, that the, the best um, policy experts, that the, the best communicators, that the that the, the that the, the most popular figures that they embody the messaging and uh, it, image and um, stature and brand identity that we want. Most people no. don't even know. That, you know, your typical American doesn't know much at all about these guys, and they've been there forever. Yeah. So those are test questions. You know, if you're vetting primary candidates about. You know, and if they're not serious, trust me, if they're not serious about it while they're asking for your vote, once they get your vote, they're not going to care. And that's been sadly the story of American politics for the last few decades. Probably it's gone on forever, um, but not to the point of this magnitude of consequence. No, certainly not at all. And I do like some of those points you made. It, it's, it's really important. And we always tell people, you know, we, we rarely... We actually don't say no, and people reach out or we reach out to people. We want to hear their platform. We want our listenership to get to know them. But we tell them at the end of the day, it's like, you know, number one, you talked about that money uh, after the fallout from the 2020 presidential election. We've had several people on the show who either were on the legal team for whatever you want to call it, stop the steal after the election, and people who actually went down to places like Georgia and saw that there was no structure in place to combat any of these things. Long story short, 90% of all that money raised went to the re-election campaigns of uh, Loeffler and uh, Purdue. And that money was just wasted on, on, on two, yeah. failed, two failed Senate seats right there. And, and, and look at the impact that has yeah. on the 
people who donate, you know, and it's demoralized. It's, this is very, very demoralizing. Yes. Um, and you know, some of the institutions in DC based that for decades have taken the most minor cases and issues literally into federal courts because they said, even though they were issues of, of constitutional symbolism, the constitution was so vital that they had to be litigated. Right. And I give you one example. Not, not a word either for the, just like Ron McDaniel, they haven't said, yeah, there's, there's substance here or no, we've reviewed this in detail and it, it's free and fair. And by the way, I've gone on with, dude, let's just take the media aspect of it. Mainstream media, big figures who've challenged me on this. And when you push back on it, it you don't find that they have researched and discovered a different set of facts, which I actually would be very respectful of. You find that they, they're completely uneducated yep. on the nature of this. Or they're educated and, and just subconsciously misrepresenting. Like, for instance, Trump has never won a court case on the substance of this. Well, we have not had one, one single court case on the substance of this fraud. We've had, you know, cases that are ones of standing, of, of, of stature, of, um, of, of format and process, right? Uh, that, that was kind of the whole idea then to take you to the next controversial date, January 6th. The whole idea behind January 6th was here finally was this the forum that Trump and everyone sought to air this stuff out and put elected officials on the record saying, are you going to review all of this, these details at thousands of affidavits signed? And these are a federal affidavit, you know, um, perjury is no small deal. Like no, it's you're going few, to jail. Few years and it's yeah, go directly to jail. It's few. It's a few years of incarceration, and um, and we and these things were not even in many cases, or at least some cases, not even signed by people that you would describe as overtly partisan. They were uh, they were either operationally focused and worked in election as a kind of civic sense of civic responsibility or as a profession. And in some cases, they were Democrats yep. yeah, who, who were so astonished by this. Uh, and then, of course, the, the silence, the culture of silence, that these are issues, you know, that you and I are sensitive issues, admittedly, that we're trying to intellectually work through and come to both right process and the right conclusion on that, you know, aren't even open for discussion in so many uh, forums, you know, right now. Right. Is there anything more? And I guess I, that, you know, this is my answer to your question. If we're going to take 2022 seriously, because I mean, while we're looking at 2020 and saying, you know, in the eyes of tens of millions of Americans, you know, half the country or more, it, despite the blackout of the media, imagine if we didn't have the blackout of the media, who view it as a fraudulent election, are now going to like, like you know, wake up the next day, go into 2022, thinking what, that we've resolved all this stuff? We've resolved almost nothing. Almost nothing. We haven't resolved it retroactively. 
and we haven't resolved it toward the future. And there's no line that I hate hearing more out of fellow Republicans and conservatives is we've got to get this right for future. That one's gone, but we've got to get this one right for the future elections. When you say that one's gone, that's the equivalent, you know, in kind of criminal law of saying, well, he shot the guy. We know who shot him. And, you know, we're just going to give him the path. There's no that that is a turning point in American political history when we become excusing of something of that magnitude. This was not a school board election or a you know, a town council election. This was the president of the United States at a vital moment in American history. Yep. And look at the look at the consequences, obviously, of one year. I mean, you know, on every front, whether it's domestic, economic, mounting inflation, which is self-created through um, utterly illogical spending programs and, and a Fed that's just just pouring money into an economy that has no backbone, the Afghanistan situation. I'm very involved in Afghanistan. I have easily 500 individuals who are friends of the United States in this 20-year war effort who are each night scrambling for their lives, and some of whom have been killed, who have been asking for my support in uh, evacuations. Mm. And then the, the border, the, the details of the border issue, not just the border, but you know, t- these individual cases. And we have to do a much better job in highlighting individual cases. That's what makes them real and understandable. But uh, the numbers get lost, you know, with, um, you know, Ten trillion dollars, one trillion dollars. You know, it's it's the, the magnitude of this stuff is not part of day to day lingo, and thus the response even by people on our side is sometimes to just say, "Well, what am I supposed to do about it?" Well, that's what, what bring what brings me to what I think is this leadership crisis. Is yeah. it what we're supposed to do about it? Is certainly not nothing, but nothing sure seems to be what we are doing about it. It's all we do is complain about the other side's success. But this should be more like a private sector thing. Like, no, if you went and fought two, three, four major opportunities, you 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 know, or major league baseball player, and you came up being paid a boatload of money to put the ball in play, or maybe knock it out of the park, and you're striking out, you know. 40 consecutive times, you know, it's either down to the minor leagues or completely out of the profession. Right. Where is the accountability on our side for any of these things? I just described the loss of literally every institution of of consequence in civic society in the United States of America. Where is the consequence? Are we to understand that we had no individual or institutions who were responsible for defending these institutions, um, that sure appears to be the case. No one's taking. No, no one's taking. No one's saying, "Hey, we did our best. Here's what we did. Here's why we lost." Here's you know. You, you don't even send, You don't hear the sense of personal responsibility that you really want to hear. I think, um, given the magnitude of our losses. Yeah, and, and they are ever mounting. Uh, the last thing I want to touch on on you with is that. Uh, you know, we, we do have President Trump doing a lot of things right now. He's, you know, kind of kingmaking. He's holding some rallies. He's trying to regroup and, and we hope realign some of the people who, uh, you know, have either done him wrong or done him right and get those people into the right positions in addition to bringing in some new ones and hopefully, you know, being able to have a, 
just as much success, if not more, moving forward. What are some of the challenges? I mean, you outlined a lot of them, and, and, and it starts and ends with Republican leadership. You know, Kevin McCarthy is going to kiss his ass because he knows what he wants out of Trump. Ronald McDaniel, to this day, still has not acknowledged Donald Trump in this time as the legitimate leader of the party and the force of the movement that is... Every- Let me ask you, maybe I'm missing... Uh, even on McCarthy, I mean, I'm, I'm, he's not said... That Biden's, I'm going, to, I'm going to get to this thesis of Trump broadly held by, by the American people and by a lot of experts who look, the people who've really dug into it. Right. Certainly where I'm leaning the, the, of his illegitimacy. No, well, he it's, hasn't. Kevin McCarthy it, hasn't. That is, you know, so you have a House leader, you know, our main leader in the House, our main leader in the Senate, the head of our party on a national level. And as far as I can tell, just about every one of the heads of our party on a state level, mm-hmm. some of them won't, not only have not said it, but are active obstructionists as it relates to ongoing investigations into the wide ranging components of questions related to the things. And I, I keep coming back to the Navarro report because I think, like, if you're new to this and you are hearing this and you share outrage on it, and you want a starting point to understand it's definitely it where where the beef is to it read that yeah. and if you're not this is the position i've said and you can plagiarize this and, and take it because i think it's a good line it's that if you haven't read the three editions uh, of the navarro reports then you're not entitled to have an opinion about what happened uh, that day, because you have not researched the allegations, so you're like, you know, basically coming in as, you know, the de- the defense attorney, and you, you know, you haven't read any of the affidavits, you haven't read the, you know, you haven't even read the charges themselves. And I know, I know for a fact that many of these people on the front lines in media and in the Democrat Party, if you ask them to even explain our side of it where our concerns are cannot give you an intellectually accurate summation of what they are because they haven't taken five seconds to look at it yeah i mean how do you even get to begin to build a narrative when like you said you have the people that are even in the own party they're either obstructionist and uh you know just gumming things up or yeah. They haven't even have to speculate about the impact of this politically for our side because yeah. I think this in the Georgia uh, runoffs, you know, which were uh, in early January, that if the Trump base in Georgia didn't have some satisfaction that these were ta- being taken seriously, if they've gone, they went out and voted and they took the effort and uh, and they feel that their vote was not taken seriously and that the concerns about it not being taken seriously were in turn not taken seriously, that they were going to be less inclined to get out and and vote. And I'm not talking about a large percentage, but enough to be all you know altering as it relates to that election. And Democrats, you know, you know, did Biden really win your primary? I mean, because I can recall there was a point there after those first few primaries of poor performance on his behalf, including some, you know, some real, like usually those first few primaries, you, you need top performance. It was awful. Where it dries up. And and before he hit, I guess, South Carolina is where it started to improve. But early on, you know, like Iowa primaries and then, you know, you know, blown out pretty much. And then 
un, an underwhelming, and then the New Hampshire, and and then you're just listening to this guy talk, and he does he, he's not the guy that he was ten years before. You can just tell you there was no, and I can remember there was or like a few weeks there where I said, you know, it's very difficult to sort of see a path for him to come back. Which brings me to my point is that if you're a Democrat or Bernie Sanders support, supporter, uh, you ought to be taking this as seriously as we are. Yep. Because I don't know factually, uh, and you ought to have your own Navarro reports looking into what went on, on in those prime, in those subsequent primaries. Because if they have the methodologies to do the magnitude of things that, uh, um, what's that Time Magazine reporter's name, Molly... Uh, yeah, who basically wrote the piece from the left acknowledging that they did all these things, right? Oh, the save the 2020 election, the big tech, and uh, okay. you know, yeah. and that read that story. I mean, she writes it with pride, oh, yeah, about because, because in their eyes, you're getting Trump out of the way was the preservation of democracy, not the constitutional process itself. But you know, for instance, Zuckerberg comes in with what was it, 400 million bucks. You know, and just starts buying up these these drop off boxes. Well, hold on a second. You know, we have a thing called the state constitution yep. and and a general assembly in the state, and and they are the ones that guide election processes. You, 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 you literally have general assemblies that didn't approve any of this stuff, and they were just put into place. Those are not valid votes. Nope. And that engagement. Uh, as it relates to electoral law, is of a criminal dimension, right? Absolutely. I mean, I mean and yet nothing there. Uh, and you know, Georgia, another in, in extraordinary exception, where you're just literally making very significant changes to this process. Yeah, it's it. We we've seen some things over the last year, year and a half that are just so unprecedented. Um, you know, in politics, some things have already been established. Listen, anybody who doesn't think there was funny business going on in, in every election since the history or the inception of the United States, you know, you, 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 that's just being silly. But the, the collaboration and, and, and just everybody says that, you know, Trump's whole narrative, the basis for the Navarro report is the big lie, the big lie. They always push is the big lie. The big lie is what the left, the Democrats, the radical progressives have already laid out there like like Michael just pointed out through things like that time article the collaborations of the biggest labor unions in the country the biggest teacher union in the country big tech uh, former Obama administration officials to just go out there and say it doesn't matter what he sounds like it doesn't matter what he looks like because at the end of the day if we all hold the line if we all just do a little bit of if everybody teaches a little bit at once he'll be gone that was always the end game it wasn't elect Joe Biden it wasn't save America and bring, you know, make the Democrats great again by bringing in this 90 year old guy who didn't even know where he was half the time who ran no campaign. And while Donald Trump was doing five, six rallies in five or six States a day to 50, 60, 70, 80,000 people, the actual pulse of America. will that he brought it, you know, is just unprecedented. You know, and and I as someone inspired by Reagan, yeah, uh, I'd be asked like, well, how do you stack Trump up against Reagan? I, and I said, look, um, on on force of will alone, uh, Trump is an amazing is 
overwhelmingly impressive. I mean, Reagan had spent that, you know, a long time sort of polishing lines on the GE lecture circuit, et cetera, yeah. and won over these small audiences piece by piece. This guy uh, poured himself into it. And let me say, he hasn't lost it because, you know, the, these rallies that I'm seeing are just overwhelmingly spot on and he's resonating with the people and don't be under any illusions. That's why he scares um, and terrifies everyone who disagree with it because yeah. who, you know, I mean, I, I've spoken to large audiences in our Tea Party rally popularized uh, a political populism in our lifetime in an unprecedented way. Trump, by the way, was, you know, was, was a part of that. He spoke uh, at a rally in Boca Raton, which I would urge everyone to go look at because I'm, I'm always asked by media how did the tea party movement get along with the trump no trump was you know like it was positive on the tea party movement he saw the value of it he saw the participation on it and he saw both on the policy ideas and on the operational tactics yep. um that they were functionally uh and ultimately politically successful yeah in, in a way but in a way in, a, in, a, in, a, in an enormous way, because all of the concerns that we're discussing right now would already have, have happened by the end of the Obama term were it not for the Tea Party Amendment, which is why I continue to believe it is historically the most significant and certainly the largest independent grassroots political movement in this country's history and, you know, and must endure. And it must endure augmented by the MAGA agenda because three things Trump brought to the 2020 um, and 2016 elections are enormous and they were being ignored by the Republican Party establishment. The threat of China's Communist Party, yep. which is the single greatest uh, national security uh, and, and sort of geopolitical, geoeconomic threat we face. Immigration, not just illegal, but also this enormously irrational legal immigration process we have, which you know in some cases is is you know literally the the, the visa raffle. We're just kind of randomly picking people, and um, Americans losing their jobs as a result of it, and the and uh, the border security, and then the tra and trade issues, yep. which he made, uh, a good he's made he made good progress with, but we hit a wall too. These aren't easily resolved uh, overnight, but those are centerpieces of our party. And then part of that redefines who we, who, who our political constituency actually is. And I believe we are a um, multi-ethnic um, party that represents um, working men and women of this country um, and whose foundation, especially among low and middle income workers is our foundation. Now that, you know, until the last few years, that was never the appeal of the Republican party. I don't know why we were ever considered the party of the 1% because, you know, that you can go look at the party registration of the 1%. We're not too well represented there, which is another, which was, you know, part of the reason we're always outspent and in these big, by these big donors on the other side. Right. Yeah. It's definitely the case. Michael, this has been awesome getting to know you today, uh, having you join us for the first time. We're, we're definitely going to be inviting you back and hopefully working with you in the future to kind of, you know, bring not only awareness, but uh, reinvigoration to the movement. 
as we head into these midterms without forgetting, you know, the election that happened in 2020 and, and hopefully getting some dispositions uh, that are really positive for this country in both aspects. And if it's going to take getting a, enough of these people who are talking about election integrity in Washington, D.C. to at least begin to investigate what would happen by getting to the bottom of what happened in 2020, then so be it. But it's one of those things, like you said, we can't forget about it. Uh, everybody knows it wasn't a referendum, this election on Donald Trump. He garnered so many more millions of votes this time uh, than he did in, in the general election in 2016. And it just showed how he really did get the response. He, he received the love from the people who he said he was going to take care of, and it was the working class, the middle class families, and, and all of those people. Can you tell our listeners where they could find you across social medias, and we'll live link it in our show description today? Yeah, sure thing. Um, on Twitter, at uh, Michael Johns, my name, one word. Uh, my Facebook page, at Michael Johns uh, Tea Party, YouTube, Michael Johns. I'm on all of the new emerging, so at least today, conservative-friendly um, sites, usually under my name. And... Um, I have, uh, well, there's many things, but one, one thing that will be of most interest uh, is uh, in August launched a Facebook group that is designed to provide, you know, the best conservative content, whether it's articles, opinion pieces, editorials, podcasts, broadcast segments to conservative Tea Party and MAGA activists. Um, and that's... Um, um, a Facebook group under my name, Michael Johns, that I, I would highly encourage those still on Facebook to be a part of. And don't run away from these platforms, you know? We don't retreat. I, I like that we're building some alternatives. We never should have gotten into the point of having so much invested in these companies that we didn't know um, to begin with and had no representation in to begin with. But, you know, Try to pull, and you're gonna be you're gonna be on their sites. Try to play by their rules, but 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 don't run away. I mean, retreat is not going to be a solution here. Even as we try to build our own institutions and make up the incredible ground that we have lost over the last few decades, I am all about inclusion, collaboration, and our movement of all Americans of goodwill. We need a lot more unity, a lot less. To the internal division in fighting, um, and we need. And let me just say, it's 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 um, weak weakness and timidity that brought us to this point of crisis. Weakness, weakness, weakness of 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 soul, heart, and mind. The way back is the exact opposite. It's strength and boldness, not reckless strength and boldness, and certainly not ever violent strength and boldness but strength and boldness, fortitude around the very centrist positions of the Republic and its principles, its founding principles that hopefully have inspired our involvement in all of this to begin with. Yeah, And it's a great honor and pleasure to, you know, have um, connected with you guys. And I'm really pleased that you're on the scene and I'm sure you're gonna be a very constructive force. Absolutely. And you know what? We're glad to have you on the scene and for joining us today. And we'll be looking forward to having you back. This is the co-founder of the Tea Party. In addition to all the other amazing things he's done in conservative politics for decades, Mr. Michael Johns, thank you for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Thank you. What did you think, Antoinette? That was pretty uh, 
rock solid commentary from Michael Johns. There it was uh, long overdue that he came on the show, but yeah. the amount of uh, the picture he painted was was just incredible. It's yeah. like yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm I was so impressed. I was not expecting all of that. Fantastic. Yeah, I think we forget sometimes. In addition to uh, all the candidates and you know political yeah. figures that were bringing you guys there, some other important aspects. You know, when you get Michael Johnson, Matt Brainerd on the same show, you're going to get a whole different idea of some of the things you can do, some of the things that are going on. And, and like Michael John pointed out, some of the things a lot of people who are running for office right now may have forgotten selectively. So I don't know if you guys heard over the last couple of days, COVID's over. Is it? it? Never was a thing. Corona offline. So it's like, the, it. it's like the astronaut meme, like COVID was bullshit. Always has been. Don't ask any questions. Because I have a CDC panel that's going to tell you it's time to get back to the new old normal. The new old world, world order. As a result of all this progress and the tools we now have, we're moving toward a time when COVID isn't a crisis, oh. but is something we can protect against and treat. The president and our COVID team are actively planning for this future. <clears throat> As we look forward, we'll continue to enhance the powerful set of tools that we have at our disposal. Vaccines, booster shots, tech. Antoinette, don't you remember it was like a month and a half ago that this was supposed to be the long winter of like suffering and death? No, it was the dark dark winter. Last winter winter was supposed to be dark winter, but it seems like... It's only February. (laughs) No, I was going to say, it seems like like, uh, they always mean like two years down the road. Oh, so it's classic projection. (laughs) Yeah, so I I I I think this was the dark winter and it's done. So was that like a, this is the dark winter semicolon? Pain, suffering, and death will be later. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. I just wanted to make sure. Well, it's been a while, but guess what, Noah? What? And hopefully, hopefully his last appearance ever on Steak for Breakfast. Uh, Remember me? Is this guy not in jail yet? Listen, listen here, Doctor Paul. <laughs> what you were doing is inexcusable and wrong. $5. For $10? It says Fire Fauci on his website. It says it right there. I brought a picture of it. No, apparently uh, America's least favorite Dr. Doom is My back. My pronouns are Psy and Entz. And even though last week he was promoting a fourth and fifth booster shot for people in the United States and hoping the FDA approves uh, inoculations for infants, 48 hours later he's saying, you want to know what? I think after let's just inoculate them in the womb. How about that? Well, they already well, they, are doing they that. Yeah, they, they um, won't have some people be able to deliver their babies in certain hospitals if they don't get the COVID injection, which in turn is essentially. What doing if they that. just put on a mask before Actually, before the virus can get them? My neighbor, my neighbor had a home birth uh, a month and a half ago because of that. I'm not too much of a fan of the Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> But uh, I'm not a fan of Dr. Fauci either. Let's hear him completely backtrack two and a half years and over 700 days of complete horseshit. You do a home birth and a rental? There's no perfect solution to this. They're trying to balance the fact that the world and the United States and particularly certain parts of the United States are just up to here with COVID. They just really need to somehow get their life back. That's the first. You don't want to be reckless and throw everything aside. But you got to start inching towards that. And you're right. When you do that, you then to veer away from paying attention to something that might be. Veer away. Oh, 
I hope we never hear him again. <sighs> no, we're going to keep hearing him. We're not. No, because he's going to be like a motivational speaker after all this is over. <laughs> I wonder what his last words will be when uh, the trials for treason and crimes against humanity. Believe in yourself even <laughs> when no one believes you. <laughs> but it says it says fire me on his website. It's, it's still there. Believe that you're worth more than five dollars, ten dollars, a hundred dollars. You are unequivocally wrong. We gotta get a Fauci montage. Quite frankly, here, oh. yeah, yeah. here. <laughs> oh, what a dick! Not much of a regular on steak for breakfast, but uh, definitely gave a good narrative on it. Because we are in midterm election season. <laughs> Chad Prather weighed in on the whole, hey, where'd COVID go? It was here yeah. yesterday. It wasn't right behind me. It was, so, it was lurking over my shoulder like a fucking vulture a minute ago. I got taken down by mall security and then tased for not wearing my mask over my nose yesterday. I went back to the same store today and they just like waved and everybody had no masks on. Welcome back. <laughs> so bipolar, isn't it? It's like, it's bizarre it's it's like an abusive relationship like uh fucking beat you make you stay in your house and then like and then just like gaslight the shit out of you like no no everything's fine i love you like narcissistic like bpd like abuse so you're imagining all this bullshit and for that we just heard michael john say it like 30 minutes ago he was he was literally like they took one long hard breath after afghanistan and we're Mm -hmm. like you done fucked up, A.A. Ron. No, they said nobody said anything and held anyone accountable, and then they knew at that point they could do whatever the fuck they want. Yeah, I guess that's, no one's going to do anything. That's why they say do not give the commies not even a centimeter because they'll take a whole fucking foot, and then if you give them a foot, they'll take 20. It's unbelievable how people just don't get it by now. Hello. Yeah. And until it's like, it's like almost until it's way too late, like almost to the point of no return is when people are going to wake up. It's like, really, do we have to go this far for you guys to fucking open your eyes and ears and see for yourself what's right in front of you? Hello. (laughs) You only see it if you want to. I wish you had a, oh, buckle this ludicrous speed go button right now. (laughs) Because that's where we're at. Let's hear Chad Prather weigh in on uh, midterm election season. And basically said, yeah, we're done. We're out. Because people started trying to sue the government. And over there, like, you could actually get away with it. Solid and podcast. they were like, now we're out. We're, we, and I don't know if that was why, but at some point in time, there's got to be some level of civil disobedience where we just say, mm. like the Canadian truckers, right. where we just say, nah, nah, <clears throat> quit with the mandates. No. Well, I feel like things are kind of loosening up just because it's midterm season almost. Well, I, that's, I tweeted that yesterday. I said, you know, I, I, the week before I said it only took 18 wheels to flatten the curve. And then I said, it, you know, it, <laughs> nice. it, it obviously mid, it took yeah, the midterms yeah. to, to flatten right. the, you know, bad poles, flatten the curve. And I was going to talk about that at length today because let's face it, it, it really is. It's the poll numbers, right? It's all politics. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't about your health. It wasn't about making sure you stayed distanced. It wasn't about you getting a vaccine. It wasn't about in it. It was all about poll numbers. Yep. And what do you think is going to happen in these midterms? It's going to be really ugly for the Dems uh, just because the president's unpopular and historically the party in power always does worse off in the midterms. So we've got an extremely unpopular president. He hasn't had really a single accomplishment in his entire year. Um, I think it looks ugly for the Dems. And there's like 30 incumbent Dems who are retiring now. Yeah. And I think the Republicans only need about five seats to flip the House. And then we just need like one Senate seat to get the Senate back. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we've got it. <clears throat> Pretty sure it's in the bag for us. <laughs> well, y- you may think that's the case. Well, if it's if it's if by the time midterms, you know, are here and we do fix the voting system, you know, I I mean it's it's a given. There will be a red wave. But if nothing is fixed, obviously, unless we come in and show up so massively like Trump did in 2016 and they were not expecting it because they did not have, they were not prepared. They, I mean, obviously they, they did cheat in 2016, but they didn't cheat enough. Yeah. I don't think we're sneaking up on them again like that. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. I mean, so unless we fix the voting system. I think if, if they're able to cheat again, because nothing gets fixed, it's going to be so over the top. Like, yeah. So over so the top rocket. this time that people are going to have to be like, all right, the last one was fucked up, but this one's like, come on, keep it reasonable at least. Line. Yeah. Like you, there's, you've, there's more votes than people who live here. Right. On well, the, well, I mean yeah. that we know of. There's well, too I, many people, but. And then they'll be like, no, votes. actually we let all these new people in. That's what happened. Oh, they voted. Uh, yeah. The shit. Yeah. Well, the only thing to be able to take these tanking poll numbers, the end of COVID. And funny how how they care so much about them. God, you the said poll. tanking. I thought you were going back to Stacey Abram again. Mm, she dick. <laughs> and the departure of Dr. Fauci <laughs> would Damn! be would be a major distraction. I couldn't imagine what or if anything like that could be. Do you feel confident that he that he hasn't made that decision already? As of this moment, I'm convinced he's made the decision. We have reason to believe that. And there it is. Huh? About the, he's about to penetrate a minor incursion. What? Oh, I, I I got distracted. You said penetrate a minor. So you did get distracted by the distraction. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. It's already working. If it works on Noah and Antoinette, <laughs> it's going to work on all the normies. I'll tell you that. Oh much. God. And well, you know who's not a normie? It's going to be our next guest and our America First interview for the day. She's looking to represent the great district. Of Georgia 6, Maui Staples, and as her audio is loading up, we're going to jump in with her right here. All right, coming in last with us today on this Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast, she's a proud mother and patriot who's the America First conservative for Georgia 6th District. Miss Mallory Staples, thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is a real treat. Perfect way to round out the week. Thank you. It sure is, and and round out our guest lineup today, and it's our pleasure to be hosting you. How's everything going with you, ma'am? Oh, going great. Going great, working hard and meeting lots of people, which is just the best part of this job for sure, are the people, that's going great. Yeah, Georgia 6 seems to be heating up as one of those very competitive races there in uh, Georgia. We've been tracking and had a couple candidates on from there already. I want to talk about uh, your campaign platform a little bit, but before we get into that, I mean, you're in this race now, and uh, you call yourself the grassroots conservative candidate, so that means you... uh, are, are coming from non-political sector pretty much. What was the motivation behind uh, you finally saying that it's time for me to do a little bit more than what I've been doing and I'm going to get into this race and try to represent the people who, uh, you know, are, are, are in the community that I'm living in? Yeah, well, I mean, I think my story is probably similar to a lot of your listeners in that I was living my life, living a, a good life. You know, I've done a lot of things in my background. I've ran my own small business for over 17 years. I'm a former teacher. 
I've educated my kiddos, homeschooled them, gosh, for over 10 years now. And then uh, the past eight years, I've been involved in Christian's women's ministry uh, called Be Still. And then we launched about four years ago into widow's ministry. Um, Our founder was twice widowed uh, with small children. Her her second husband was an Air Force pilot. And so she just had a passion for that and what it's like to be a widow with small children. So we launched that and then partnered with Gary Sinise, who's an amazing patriot and served our military firefighter and police widows. I've been doing that for about four years. So just, you know, doing a lot of great things, but never had aspirations of getting into politics at all. I've always been a patriot. Um, I'm that like goober who like tears up listening to the national anthem. Um, just my dad served, my grandfather served, love the country but didn't engage uh, politically, you know, beyond voting. And over the past couple of years, really the past two years, um, I think I think the timeline of emotions was shocked, heartbroken, and then enraged when I saw uh, my husband, I watched what was happening in the country. I think the censorship issues under President Trump were so eye-opening and then it just caught our attention and and it really never stopped and so uh, i'm a christian uh and my husband and i prayed about it and we said you know we it's easy to be paralyzed when you see there's a fear factor involved with what's happening in the country and it makes you think gosh this isn't going anywhere good we know we know where this road leads us no one's stopping this and so we just wanted to really disengage from the fear and say hey what can we do to be part of the solution. And, and I think every every citizen, every patriot has a lane that they can get in. And this is our lane. And um, you know, I think we're seeing citizens all over the country, school boards and judgeships, and you know, just everybody's in getting involved and realizing that these people, these politicians and bureaucrats that have been running the show. Um, do not love America. They don't give a flip about the American people. And um, it's our it's our it's our right. It's our um, honor. It's our privilege to engage in this way. And I don't think there's going to be any turning back. I, I really don't. I think I think we are on a trajectory towards what Reagan, you know, Reagan talked about the citizen politician. I like to call it the citizen leader. Um, and, and it is rightly as what our founding fathers envisioned for the country. It's of the people, for the people, by the people. And um, it's exciting. Like I can't, um, I mean, I could have lived a hundred lives and never run for office, but if my country needs me and she does, um, I'm all in and, and I won't stop. So it's an exciting time. That is a good backstory. And I do like how you, uh, you've done so much advocacy for, uh, you know, people who really needed our veterans, especially, you know, widows and stuff like that. How is the uh, the work that you've done working with people who, you know, are in need or are hurting or, you know, as you're building a community and, and a support structure for people, how has that transpired over into the, uh, the rollout of your campaign? Well, it's, it dovetails perfectly because, you know, you have to have a servant's heart. You need to know how to serve. And, we have so deviated from the original intent of leadership. I mean, it used to be a sacrifice, you know, when our country was founded, people stepped away from their lives and went to truly serve. They gave something, they gave of themselves. And so having engaged in literally the washing of feet, you know, of of the widows and, and women serving, you know, that's the posture. 
that our leaders should have is that we are here to serve you. What is it you want? We, we work and serve at the will of the people. And so I think that is uh, uniquely um, given me a foundation to go serve. And, and it makes you a little bit immune um, is the prayer and my belief to the power, you know, people go up to DC and just get drunk on um, the, the importance of how they see themselves and the power. And I mean, you feel that in the atmosphere when you go up to DC, it just feels different. And when you have the heart of a servant, that's not going to ever be appealing. Um, and so that that's essential. And I always tell people when I speak, you know, the why that people are running for office needs to get a great deal of, um, attention and scrutiny because, if you need this to build your career, if you were born into this, if you were groomed for this, if you have personal aspirations, like I just think I would never vote for somebody like that. But the that reluctant leader, as Washington called them, is is what we need. And, and the fantastic thing is that that's what we're seeing all over the country. Like I've been endorsed by the Veterans for America first and love that group. Yeah. Three weeks ago, they took me down to the border to see firsthand what was happening down there. And, you know, I hope we get an opportunity to talk about that while I'm on with you guys. But the neat thing was that they brought several of their other candidates down there um, from races all over the country. And they were people just like us. They, they were stepping away from a very normal, you know, life to, to do this. They, they hadn't planned on it, but they're answering the call and um, serving their country. And it was just, God, fills you with so much encouragement and hope. Yeah, that's a, a pr pr pretty eye-opening experience, I bet, going down to the southern border and uh, seeing it firsthand. You know, you hear the, the reports on the news, and you, you probably could see some of it on TV or if you check out some of the documentaries if you want to get a little bit spicier. But yeah, it's a double whammy scene in person, I would assume. I'm, I'm, I, I bet oh. that. Oh, guys, I'm telling you, we, we went down by the light of day. We were down there with um, Brandon Judd, who is Border Patrol, Mark Morgan, He's who awesome. served Border Patrol under six administrations, Tom Homan, who's been served ICE in six administrations, Admiral Kubik. He uh, built the wall. That's who Trump asked to build the wall under his administration. So those were the guys that I was down there with. So, I mean, to say they are authorities is an understatement. And we watched by day. I mean, you literally saw um, the illegals coming over on the rafts. Um, you know, they showed us. And I, if any of you have listened, anybody listening has children, I would I would tap out right now for a second because it's just very graphic details. If I have your permission to share. Absolutely. Um, Go for it. OK. OK. So they took us by the brush that days before, right along the bank of the river where they'd found a 14-year-old um, girl's body just days before. And she had uh, she was a rape victim and had the DNA of over 30 different males in her. What? They were telling us how they take very small children, toddlers and younger, and literally cut them open and sew drugs up inside them. And they um, sedate them and use them as literally, you know, um, mules to carry their drugs across the border. Um, you know, 30% of the women that come across are raped. The death rate in general on the border and its totality is up 113%. In the first year of this administration, their horrific policies down there, 32 
of our border patrol agents committed suicide last year, yep. 32. That is an unprecedented figure. It's not even touched in past years. You know, of the um, unaccompanied minors that, that come across the border, uh, 150 on the low end thousand, that's a low end number have disappeared. And, you know, and I tell people, hey, listen, when I grew up and a kid went missing, their face showed up on a milk carton. Like everybody was looking for them. Where did they go? Oh my gosh. The loss of life. These kids are just being absorbed into the sex trafficking industry. Uh, they're being murdered and they're being used as drug luggage. I mean, the, it was literally horrifying on a, on a humanitarian front. It is a crisis like I, I've never seen. And then Admiral Kubik said, hey, Mal, listen, if you really want to see what's going on, <clears throat> you need to come out at night. So the last night I was there, we literally didn't go to sleep. We, we went out at night. Uh, we had a security detail because the cartel has like snipers up in the trees because yep. they move groups of like 200 people at a time across the border at night under the dark of night. And we saw that we went down to the uh, to Roma where the point of entry is there on the Rio Grande River saw him pulling out a woman and a child like out of the river in real time, saw the snipers in the tree. We watched a coyote pull up in a truck and dump some kids off. I mean, it looks like a third world country down there. It, it literally does. It is um, like, I can't go to sleep anymore. When I close my eyes at night, I literally think about the invasion that's getting ready to take place on our border. And, and, you know, it really affects all the like, uh, main points or platforms for an America first candidate, because it, it's a human human rights crisis. It is a um, election integrity crisis. You know, we had two million illegals break into our country last year. Um, the They have a pathway to citizenship to vote for the Democrats. They are counted in the census. So the Democrats can pick up seats in the House over that. It is just you know, um, not, it's not even to say the process is fragile at this point. It's just, it's deconstructing in front of us. And, and it was ironic because two days before we got there, Kamala Harris came out and made that sweeping statement that she was so proud of saying that her dream, you know, for this year was to, to grant millions more blanket amnesty, you know, illegals to the country. And, then you have the moral decay, the cultural decay of bringing in drugs at a record pace, human trafficking, sex trafficking, guns, you know, um, the, the drawdown on the taxpaying citizen. These people are receiving health care, free education. You know, it just goes on and on and on. It's such a it's a ripple effect, really, what's happening down there every day. And it's appalling how this stuff is being completely hidden by the, the legacy media. And yes. to be honest, like anybody who's covering this up and actively, you know, dispelling information about this, they're complicit. Yeah, yes. they are. They are. I mean, that's why I said like day one when I'm in Congress, you know, I mean, just right, right out of the shoe. You know, I want to call for an investigation of this administration because the last time I checked, aiding and abetting an illegal was a crime. Yeah. Yeah. It's a crime. If you and I did it, it'd be a crime. But our border patrol have been hamstringed. Like they've implemented catch and release again. Uh, uh, that Trump had stopped. Um, President Trump had stopped. He had enacted the Remain in Mexico policy. They Biden put an end to that. So our border patrol. I mean, can you imagine committing your life being trained to protect the border, 
and then being told by this administration that you can't do your job and then you have to watch and and hand over across the border these children like when we were out that night there was a row of like 14 unaccompanied minors by themselves these border patrol agents are processing these kids through hhs knowing well they're going to get handed off to i don't know 30 plus ngos and distributed around the country to these cartel um, strongholds to be put to work to work off the back end of their pay to the coyote that brought them over. I mean, it's disgusting and they have no choice but to do that. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's, it's terrible. It's terrible. Yeah. It's just gotta be a really toxic work environment for those guys that work down on the border right now. I couldn't imagine what they're going through on almost a daily basis. You can only imagine right. the levels of morale that there might be right now. Yes, I know. You could see it on their faces. I mean, I just, yeah, I wanted to wrap my arms around them and just say, you know what? The majority of the country truly sees you, knows what you're doing. You know, we're going to lend our voice to stopping that. You know, you just, you wanted to literally embrace them. I didn't, but I wanted to, you know. Everybody likes a hug. Yeah, I'm sure they could use Yeah, everybody likes a hug. Yeah. So, well... (laughs) Mallory, you touched on the border is probably one of the hottest issues that's facing the nation right now. And that was a really good take you had on it. You kind of painted a, a very vivid picture for our listening audience. Oh, and, and it, people, you know, people like her and people on our side are the only ones, excuse me, are the only ones who are even mm-hmm. touching it. You know, you, you say right. anything about this, you know, to the mainstream media and they'll cut to commercial. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had to mm-hmm. mute myself because I started crying when you were talking about the young children. <laughs> It's so oh. it's hor- it's horrible. I mean mm-hmm. I can't even imagine what these what these little kids go through, these women and children. It's it's pure evil and they're allowing it in our country. And it's it's disgusting. It is. And they showed us these rape trees, is what they call them. And there's just car the carnage is just women's undergarments everywhere and personal items. I mean, it's like you can't even dream up in your darkest day what's going on down there. And to your point, the media, which, I mean, cue the eye roll and, and rage, you know, is just over here focusing on the Super Bowl or whatever. You know, it's just um, if the American people knew, you know, I think there'd be a convoy on the border. Um, and, you know, I know I, I think it's Marjorie Taylor Greene's actually mentioned that, but it's like these people have to be protected, the citizens of the United States, and they're not doing these people any, any favors, you know, letting them cross in here. This is a cartel conglomerate. They are, they are running the border and in large number. um, And it's not just our cities anymore, but the rural areas in our countries, they're buying up property at a record pace um, for these flip houses, as they call them. And their industry is booming. Why Americans can bear, you know, citizens, taxpayers can are getting just beaten up at the grocery store and at the gas tank. And I mean, it's so upside down that even right now, as I'm hearing myself talk to you about it, it still almost sounds like I'm making it up. You know, it's just such a distortion and a perversion of our country and what we stand for and what we offer and what we believe. It's a it's a perversion of it. It yeah, really is. Most people don't have any idea of the depth of these transnational organizations where they're into real estate, they're they're investing, they're owning yes. politicians. I mean, mm-hmm. there's there's a payroll for people in the United States and 
these yes. uh, these organizations have more money than they know what to do with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And think about that. They're thriving financially, money to burn, buying off our politicians and leadership. And then the American citizens are struggling. They're struggling. You know, whether it's it's the working class, you know, the muscular class or the more affluent, you know, retirement plans that are diminishing, you know, with inflation and being devalued. Like every citizen is, this is on their back. This is on their back and they don't care. I mean, it, it is literally uh, treasonous to me. It's treasonous. And then we spent that whole night out and I watched, you know, I watched these children being processed. They were given these little bags that, you know, I was just, anyway, it was like a surreal moment. I'm watching it all happen. They're cutting off their medical bands off their wrists, which the cartel, it's like a temporary branding system for them. And they cut the bands off to make it less likely that the cartel um, can scoop them up on the other side. Um, but anyway, I got to the airport. I didn't go to sleep because we were just out for so long. It was unreal. And I didn't want to miss any of it because I wanted to come back and, you know, do my part to get the word out and report. And I got to the airport and the story, I guess it was maybe a week before I went, the story broke. I think it was Tom Fitton of the planes landing in New York state with in the middle of the night, you know, with the illegals unloading and they had the footage of the ground crew, you know, talking about it and all this. And so, so that's like not too far back in the you know archives of my mind. And I, I roll into the airport. It's still dark. It's like four something in the morning because I just wanted to fly home to my kiddos. I'd been gone, you know, for two days. I was wanting to come back and see my husband and my babies. So I was like, you know what? I've already been up all night. Let's just keep it rolling. So I went straight to the airport. And in front of me, I absolutely kid you not, were five illegals. <laughs> they had the same bag because they give them all the same colored bag. They're like what we like recyclable grocery bags. Yep. Um, you know, like the Publix one would be green or whatever. Anyway, they all had these orange bags. Orange and blue were the two colors. And I'm standing in line behind five illegal citizens that are showing, I, I have to, by the way, show my driver's license, you know, to, to, to get on the flight as a citizen and taxpayer. And then they all showed, they had like these pieces of paper. And then I saw they were all carrying the Ziploc bag with the cell phone, the cash in the grocery bag that I'd seen before all matching. And they all got on my flight and I thought, dad gummit, I paid for my and five others. And I, you know, didn't even know it. And they literally, they told us when we were down there, um, uh, Mark Morgan was saying they pick their city. They pick where they want to go in the United States and they're flown there. Wow. It's like a, a, a taxpayer funded travel service mm-hmm. is what's happening down on the border for people that break the law and break into our country. A taxpayer funded trafficking service is more like it. Yes. There it's, you go. <clears throat> Well, there so you, you look go. at it, you look at it and it's kind of like a mirror image of like, you know, the general working class people benefited under Trump with the policies and the way that the economy was and everything. And now under this administration, the, not, the not, narco traffickers yeah. are the ones who are benefiting and, you know, enjoying a, a boom in business. Mm-hmm. Infl- That's right. Yeah. Inflation's not too high in the, uh, Mexican narcotics rings right now and human trafficking rings for, to say the least. Yeah. yeah. Definitely not seeing inflation oh. rates through the roof. Valerie, what are some other, uh, you know, you've got some some strong ties to, uh, you know, military-based backgrounds. We're seeing some more 
national defense disasterage come from this administration. We, we all know what happened in Afghanistan and how embarrassing that was for our country in its national or international footing. And, and here we go now kind of stroking the flames that who knows what's going to happen on the Russia-Ukraine border. It's been going on for long before this administration, you know, took office. And uh, it's one of those things where in the big scheme of things really doesn't affect the United States negatively uh, regardless of what happens. Obviously, we don't want to see tyrants try to take over the world, but at the same time, it seems like the United States is doing a better job of, like, hyping this up as a potential war than the actual two players involved. What do you think uh, in regards to our national defense situation right now, including how uh, woke and broken the military appears, appears to be? Mm-hmm. Well, it's like a deconstruction from the inside out, um, you know, with our, with our military leadership. I just, uh, you know pregnant flight suits and CRT and all of that. Meanwhile, we, we look weak. We look too weak, you know, to stand on the world stage. And it, it, again, it's that perversion. It's that upside down world you're living in where you're like, wait a second, did, did Putin just threaten to put troops in South America? Uh, were we being threatened? You know, and you just, it's like such a um, Alice in Wonderland, you know, kind of moment that you're having. Um, and it, you know, it's, it's dangerous. It is dangerous. I mean, we won't be, you know, anytime a democratic nation falls to communism, you know, that's a problem for the world, but um, we won't be unaffected, you know, by, by what happens over there by, by any means. And um, just that whole bystander Biden, you know, it's almost like he's narrating. It's almost like he's narrating what's happening, um, like a, a um, disconnected third party, um, as he watches what happens with uh, Russia and Ukraine, and it just speaks of absolute. It's like powerless, like you know, and and the fact that he. It really enrages me that he he, he doesn't feel the need to get on the phone get on the phone, not Air Force One, but get on the phone and talk to Putin. But he's certainly happy to go ahead and send our finest, our men and women in the military over there, but he can't make a phone call. I mean, it's all pretty outrageous. I mean, I don't know an angle. I mean, I've walked around it, obviously, uh, the 360, and I don't, I can't find a flattering angle where it, it looks like the America that I know and love. Yeah, you, you certainly make some great points there. And then I think it all does kind of stem back to lack of leadership. We've seen, you know, very weak narratives come from both the Department of Defense and the State Department, in addition to the lack of a good job of doing what you're supposed to do as president that Joe Biden's done in regards of handling first the Afghanistan situation and now this one. All right, I wanted to ask you, mm. what do you think is the uh, most critical issue right now that's facing Georgia Six? Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, I do say uh, every state is a border state now that I've been down to the border and I see what's happening. And, you know, we're losing our kids in high schools here to drug overdoses. Um, You know, it's not just the towns that um, border Texas. So I think that um, affects from, like I said, education the uh, healthcare system, drug overdose, you know, that's affecting all of our communities. Um, I would say the number one issue uh, being that 
we're in Georgia, where we're located in particular, encompassing a portion of Fulton County is um, election integrity. Yes. When I talk to people, uh, which is every day, all day, and every night, um, that is their concern. And rightfully so, the voters are smart. The American people are smart and they understand that our right uh, to fair and free elections is the front line and all our other rights fall behind that. And so I think election integrity is a really, uh, really important issue. Uh, here in Georgia six. Yeah, I think it is too. We, we definitely had some funny business going on down there. And yeah. Fulton County sounds really familiar for some reason. Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> we're, well, we're still, we're still trying to take a look at it today. I heard yep. there was some uh, election integrity related stuff going on in court down there today. I saw on television this morning. Yes. I think we're kind of waiting to hear about those lawsuits and, and what the, uh, fallout, if any, will be, you know, I know they've talked about moving the, the primary date potentially and stuff like that, but I hadn't, I hadn't heard it yet either. Yeah, well, we'll definitely be tracking that. Mallory, this has been awesome getting to know you today and, and letting our listenership kind of hear your heart and uh, some of your campaign platform. And uh, we want to be able to direct as much traffic to, you know, you would support you, whether it's to your congressional website, your social medias, and then obviously donating to your campaign. So why don't you let our listenership know where they could follow you? Okay, great, great. And thank you again so much for having me. Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And um, my website is staplesforcongress.com. And on Twitter, I'm at Staples Congress. Facebook, Mallory Staples for Congress. And on Instagram, it's at Staples for Congress. We will live link them in the show today. And as we get through the uh, primary season, we'd like to see you represent in Georgia 6 and hopefully come back with us. This is the America First candidate who's looking to represent that district, Mallory Staples. Thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Oh, thank you so much. I'll come back anytime. You guys have a great weekend. You too. Well, that was really good getting to know uh, Miss Mallory Staples, and we wish her the best in her quest to become the Republican nominee in Georgia 6. She yes. had a little bit of an eye-opening experience on the southern border, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like it. And it's good to hear uh, more candidates talk more candidly about it. Because uh, just saying that we have a crisis at the border isn't going to get it done anymore. Well, I know I said it already, but it's just, it's completely asinine that it's so covered up. Mm-hmm. It's so bad, too. It's it's unbelievable. Like, nobody is really reporting anything. You know, I mean, obviously, alternate media and people like us. and but Yeah, but yeah. it's like you cannot deny anymore that anything that makes this administration look bad is censored. Right. Like, I mean, no, now course. it's starting to leak out a little bit, like shitty poll numbers and stuff like that. But anything really, really, really damning and anything really dangerous to the country, it's like glossed over and completely overlooked. I'm glad you said that yeah. because, uh, you know, it is really dangerous to the country. Do we have an Eminem guess who's back button again? Mm, no. Okay. Because <laughs> we're round and third heading home. Last segment. She's back. Hillary Clinton. Ugh. Again. <sighs> you know, she's wearing the Doctor Evil outfit. It's more of like the Emperor Palpatine outfit. She's got a hood up, and her no pr- you know, pre her, her eye prunes are hanging. No pre ultimate power. Oh right, yeah, the Senate outfit. Oh right, right, right. So, uh, yeah, <clears throat> it really does look like we're starting to inch our way towards a 
replay or remix of the 2020 presidential election. They can't think this is a good idea to prop her up again. Oh, I feel like there's so much more to this. I, I don't know. Did I you, mean, if you're did you like, just hear if, Joe Biden say war or <laughs> peace? <laughs> I mean, come on. Is they talking about a book he read? I'd say a sack of potatoes could could do better, but I really can't stand Brian Stelter's voice. Ugh, gross. Well, she weighed in on all the things that are important to the nation right now as it tries to heal from COVID and all of the crippling things that are happening to it regarding the economy and inflation. She talked about the Super Bowl? Close. Gun control. Mm, I like that one, too. That's pretty much one of her uh, go-tos right there. Let's, uh, let's hear her weigh in on it. You said weigh in. I thought you were talking about Stacey Abrams again. Oh. They will do nothing to invest in our schools or make college more affordable. They'll ban books but do nothing about guns. Oh. They'll make it harder for people to vote but easier for big corporations to bust unions. They'll let polluters trash our environment and let Donald China? Trump trash our democracy. That's why I intend to work my heart out to elect Democrats up and down the ticket this November. Oh, scissor me timbers. Give it a fully. Mm. Still got two more clips of her. I don't. It's not, that's it. Well, I don't know. You want me to read you the titles of these clips? Yeah, let's hear it. The first one is, uh, you really wasted it. The 2020 presidential election and January 6th. Mm. And then the last one, of course, is... Uh, who's currently living rent-free in her head. It's me. <laughs> I've been really working on my down. It's not there. No, it's, it's not there. definitely not. <laughs> I watched the uh, Daryl Hammond does Donald Trump does the Domino's commercial. Oh, yeah. Last night. That's one of my favorite ones. Jesus Christ. Oh, Jesus Christ. Well, I kind of spoiled it already. Yeah, it's all right. But, uh, it's already spoiled. Yeah, let's hear her talk about the big lie. And we must reject the big lie about the 2020 election and the cover-up of the insurrection of last January 6th. What a stupid son of a bitch. And we can't get distracted, whether it's by the latest culture war nonsense or some new right-wing lie on Fox or Facebook. Oh, Mr. Durham. Wait, right. By the way, Facebook? they've been coming after me again lately, in case uh -oh. you might have noticed. It's funny, the more trouble Trump gets into, the wilder the charges and conspiracy theories about me seem to get. I don't know, Andrew, that. You, you keep saying that uh, there's some ulterior motive behind it, but that sounds like a classic stump speech to me. I don't know. I feel like they're sacrificing her. There's no way that... Uh, there's no way. They know she can never run and win. There's no chance. There are some glass ceilings that have yet to be broken. Ah, right. Um, I'll I don't be even, your first I mean, ghoul president <laughs> and the first emperor of the galactic. Yeah, I mean, you Senate. can even look at her now compared to, you know, in 2016, for example, she looks completely different. Her voice sounds different. Her demeanor. She's not confident. Something else is going on. Well, let's see. If, let's see if this possible clone of Hillary Clinton complains about <laughs> uh, Donald Trump the same way that uh, the original version did. We have faced these challenges here in New York at a time when our nation is deeply and dangerously divided. Where? Now, it is one thing to have political disagreements. Oh. Those are natural and healthy. 
But it is an entirely different thing altogether to lose a shared sense of truth, facts, and reality itself. And Wait, we're the one that's losing facts? I know many of us <laughs> hoped that defeating Trump would start to heal our divisions. I certainly did. That maybe, just maybe, the madness would break. How about news? Yeah, how about shut the fuck up, yeah, Hillary? Just, no one likes you. Go away. Well, apparently they all did. And that was at the uh, Democrats' version of CPAC, whatever the hell it was called. The, the D- one that DPAC? D- these nuts. <laughs> in New York. Well, I, I think uh, we can sit here and make fun of it. Yeah, I'm done. Endlessly. But, but no one seems to be able to frame it in the legacy media better than uh, our good friend Tucky. Oh, yeah. Let's hear him uh, talk about this campaign kickoff. New York State Democratic Convention today. There's a lot of speculation she's preparing a third presidential run. We want to go on the record early as supporters. We fully support Hillary Clinton as she runs for president. (laughs) So in the name of promoting Hillary Clinton's next candidacy for president, we want to share you some excerpts of her speech today. Here's Hillary Clinton making some highly original points about voter suppression and insurrection. Watch. When the Republican Party officially embraces violent insurrection as legitimate political discourse, Discourse. when storming the Capitol, assaulting police officers, trying to overturn an election, are being normalized. I thought you meant overturn the button on the magnetic door. We are in uncharted territory. Republicans are defending coup plotters. Voting rights at precisely the moment when democracy needs champions, when we should be standing together against autocracies. (laughs) So it really was, as she put it, it was an attack on our democracy. It was an attack on our norms. Give that lady a daytime MSNBC show. But should she be the Democratic Party's presidential nominee once again? Maybe you're not fully convinced. We're going to show you a few more clips. Hillary Clinton has spent her last five years off honing her speaking skills. Here's Hillary Clinton responding to the news that her campaign spied on Donald Trump in the White House. Like to order the cuckoo platter? And we can't get distracted, whether it's by the latest culture war nonsense or some new right-wing lie on Fox or Facebook. Mm. Leave by Chuck the way, Grassley they've been alone. coming after me again lately, in case you might have noticed. It's funny, the more trouble Trump gets into, the wilder the charges and wilder. conspiracy theories about me What seem trouble to get. is Trump in right now? Yeah, what is, so as you can see, Facebook and Fox News are picking on the girl again. It's called misogyny. <clears throat> Will she break the glass ceiling? Of course, we're rooting for her. To our dismay, she did not commit to running in 2024, but she did promise to help the Democratic Party as much as she has in the past. They will do nothing to invest in our schools or make college more affordable. They'll ban books, but do nothing about guns. They'll make it harder for people to vote, but easier for big corporations to bust unions. I guess we could have They'll skipped playing the clips ourselves. They'll let polluters trash our environment like and when, let Donald uh, Trump trash our Tucky democracy. commentates on it. Yeah. That's why I intend to work my heart out to elect Democrats up and down the ticket this November. So what you're watching 
really is a triumph of emerging technology. That entire speech, in fact, everything inside Hillary Clinton's brain is a product of artificial intelligence. That was uh. written by AI software. Maybe that's why you may have heard some of it before. Mm. Mm. Kind of spicy for Tucky, yeah. Very spicy. What do you Alex think, Jones. Antoinette? Alex Jones, I was... Don't be that reporter from the State <laughs> Department. <laughs> I just remember. Uh, I mean, you don't have any proof. He just closed his just eyes because I said so. As soon as he said Alex Jones, <laughs> just really let the wind out of his sails. It just blinked for so long. <laughs> what does this all mean? We've we've had a big show, a great episode, and in our last clip of the day, making his second appearance on the show after not being on since last time as a guest, Joe Kent, who was on with some of our great friends, apparently. Mm. Uh, from Steve Bannon's War Room. I don't know if you noticed. You Apparently. didn't because you weren't here. I did find a an appropriate and organic way to use the term apparatus today. Oh, nice. You're welcome. Stop stealing our humble pill for our room. <laughs> <laughs> We're listening to you listening. I want, more than anything, a war in the Republican Party. I think a cleansing of the old guard, figuratively. Flushing of the old toilet. And not using Mitch McConnell's desk as one. As he's ushered out, is exactly what we need right now in this we country. Got a name for that guy yet? Mitch McConnell? No, the, the, the desk shitter. The no, desk shitter. I'm not trying to dox January Sixers online. The rug peers are not the issue here, dude. <laughs> no, it's definitely not. And they peed on those long carpets. Not really tied the room together. Oh, uh, you know. It, but we do need a, we do need a, a civil war in the Republican Party. These people who are representing you, like even the ones that kiss Trump's ass, Kevin McCarthy, Antoinette. We talk about it a lot. I can't fucking stand him. I know you can't either. And, uh, you know, it's like they're going out and getting these endorsements and putting these established pl establishment plants in districts where America First candidates are running because they are scared of the clientele that are going to get elected in November and start telling them what to do, what they're going to vote on, and who's going to be in leadership positions because they're going to be severely outnumbered. Yeah. And, and, and nothing can stop it except people like Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell who are funneling money into like challenger campaigns and stuff like that. And don't listen for as much ass as Kevin McCarthy kisses in regards to Donald Trump, he is funneling money to anti America first Republican candidates and primaries as we speak through PACs. It's a fact. Every time somebody finds it, they put it online and I share it on Twitter and, and we need to go out and continue to call these people out because they just cannot be the direction that we're going in right now, because that direction is not America first. That direction is not the make America great again, again, agenda. It's just not, um, they're so deep rooted in Washington DC and we need a complete redo of all the leadership there that don't have those ties that are going to allow their friends and lobby groups and the administrative state to gum up the next four years. Because at the end of the day, Donald Trump, literally has a shelf life now it's one more run and one more four-year term yeah that's i mean he's mm -hmm. not gonna be able to do this forever with a whole hell of a lot more disaster in between when he got here i mean barack obama left it pretty shitty but he didn't leave it this shitty mm -hmm. and uh you know we're in a way worse situation right now let's hear joe kent weigh in on the uh upcoming civil war in the republic is she still getting money from mccarthy yeah, Jamie Herbert Butler still getting money. How, how There's a perfect work? example. You're endorsed by Donald J. Trump. Yep. How does this Trump. work that she she votes for impeachment? How does she vote for impeachment? And you're endorsed by Trump, and 
she's still getting money from McCarthy. Walk, walk America through that. Well, I think right now we are on the front line of the Republican Civil War. The Republican establishment wants the America First movement to just go away. They're threading a very uh, delicate needle because they know that President Trump's still at 97% approval rating. But the last thing they want is populist nationalists that are advocating for us to bring back jobs to the American economy, choke off the illegal and legal immigration, and get us out of endless foreign interventions. They want Republican country club talking points that hold corporate donor class agenda back in and so they want to take down uh, republicans like me that are going after impeachment voters. trafalgar's got you up by how many we're up by three points right now so it's a still tough and it's a jungle primary out there, it's right? a jungle primary very right. bizarre and so the woman that launched that ad against me we had we made a public agreement that whoever trump endorsed to prevent this from happening the other one would drop out yeah, she didn't to, get in order to consolidate, she, and she didn't. She so didn't instead, read the, she didn't re-read so instead the she, she's attacking me yeah. for well, my nationalist populist views, and Jamie Herr Butler is parroting her. So it's you can see the establishment coalescing around them. Welcome to politics. Uh, mm. Yeah, well, welcome to politics. Yeah. Hey, Antoinette, you know what's pretty funny? How how much of that, and, and anyone that's listened to the show up to this point now, that that's like a minute thirty version of the hour that Michael Johns gave us. Yeah, basically. Like they said, uh, so many of the key elements of, of what he stressed on goes on uh, behind closed doors up on Capitol Hill that, that they framed it actually really nicely right there. And I had yeah. forgot when I reviewed that clip earlier in the week and threw it in for the show that it was Jamie Herrera Butler, who's the current Republican uh, candidate who's working in the House right now representing Washington 3, Joe Kent's primary candidate, that Kevin McCarthy's financing her campaign. And then they all signed an agreement, whoever got the Trump endorsement, not the incumbent, but the rest of the, you know, because they have a jungle primary. So what, what that means for our listeners that don't know, everyone goes in and the top three people go on the ticket in November. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter if it's three Democrats, two Republicans, and one Democrat, et cetera. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they all agreed, whoever got the Trump endorsement, everybody else would bow out and then offer their support to that person to get Jamie Herrera-Butler out of there. And that's a total disingenuous dick move to not. Pull out. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, what a solid way to end the show. That's organic right there, my friend. You pivot. I mean, it's kind of a dick move not to pull out. (laughs) And we're there. Yep. Well, I'm fried. Yep. But this was a great episode of Steak for Breakfast. Thanks in part to... uh, our lovely partners in the podcast team. Good job, guys. Um, what I had can you just enough caffeine today? Yeah, I get a two-hour nap before work. Yeah, you know, I might. You know what else I get to tell everybody where you can find the Steak for Breakfast podcast? Oh. Yep, you can follow Steak for Breakfast on all downloadable podcasting platforms. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Podbean, Google Podcast, FM Player, and now iHeartRadio. Subscribe to the show and rate it, leave a review, and don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds go out to uh, all of our guests today, Mr. Matt Brainerd, Mr. Michael Johns, and of course, looking to represent Georgia 6, Miss Maori Staples, in addition to our internet friends, Cagbro88, Patriotic Babe Accounts, Mr. Garbaggio, Kyle Becker of Kyle Becker News, John Backman from Newsmax, we had a nice little conversation the other day. Mike Crispy from uh, Right Side Broadcasting Network, Christina Bob of OAN, and of course, Tom Pappert, the editor-in-chief of the National File. Friends, don't forget to uh, go and throw some money at all of our uh, partners. By you helping to support them in their business endeavors, you help make small American businesses great again. My pillow. 
We didn't make it to Canada, which means Mike has now 10,000 my pillows in overstock. Prices lower than ever before. I got a lot of pillows already. Big, big savings when you enter stake at checkout. Hit them up on the website, mypillow.com forward slash stake, or talk to a qualified pillow representative at 1 800 658 8045. One show review, five stars. They're the top tier of ear gear. And now I can uh, confidently say that instead of just looking at it. Sweet Mahogany, Angelic Tunes, Sometimes Mr. Garrison, that's Steak for Breakfast. Not going to give me one? Nope. Odyssey.com, they're on Facebook and Instagram. Stay ready to your holsters, in case you want a picture of Mr. Garrison. Maybe Mr. Garrison, President Trump, one of our favorites, soon to be coming to uh, Steak for Breakfast. StayReadyGear.com is where you can find the uh, melted plastic done right. Picture on it. Conceal carry holster. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram as well. Man rubs. Don't mistreat your meat. You buy it. You shake it. You rub it. You smoke it. You pull it. You have a little sweet tea. And throw it in your mouth. Num, num, num. West Coast Survival Arms. Michael gets you squared away with some firearms, and he's got plenty of ammo. Newly redesigned, easy-to-use website at westcoastsurvivalarms.com. He's on Facebook Messenger, and you can reach him via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Mediocre Medic for all our first responders. They've got a pretty fire IG. You can get all their gear at MediocreMedic.com. And last but certainly not least, home of the Zero Fuck Stuck, DumpBox.us. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Oh, Thank you. Upcoming shows. We'll be back on Tuesday. We got a bunch of guests that day. Noah's pretty hyped about it. Want me to go down the list? Yeah gotten pretty i had to start writing above thick it's very thick just like our friend snack thickelson or stepsign will be joining us may have heard of him before in addition to him we'll have tony cowden who's looking to represent north carolina four jules gray newly announced candidate looking to represent colorado eight gavin wax the president of the new york young republican club and shu abdi rahman elon omar's primary challenger in minnesota five nailed it two weeks in a row uh, next Friday, we're going to have Michelle Fiore, who's looking to be the next governor of Nevada, Jackson Lehmeyer, who's running for Oklahoma Senate, and Amir Bento, who is a Newsmax contributor and a constitutional lawyer. He's going to come and talk to us about a couple things that are going on right now in the country uh, from the legal side of it. We're going to talk 2020 presidential election. We're going to talk January 6th. And we're going to talk about maybe some of the legalities or illegalities that's going on down on the southern border. Following week... Nailed it last night, thanks to uh, help from Noah and Antoinette. Finally talked to Robbie Starbuck. Him and Mike Collins are going to join us. Same, same show, same segment on March 1st. In addition to that, we'll have Willie Montague, who's running in Florida 10. On the 4th of March, Jim Lehman, you may have seen a Super Bowl commercial. It was the uh, cowboy one where he shot you know, Nancy Pelosi, Joe Biden, and uh, Chuck Schumer's hats off. Cowboy edition. He's running for the Arizona Senate, and he's going to join us on the 4th of March. Mark Ivano, who's the uh, president of Republicans for National Renewal, will talk midterm elections when he comes on with us as well. J.R. Majewski, who's running in Ohio 9, and we'll start off the show with a hot, hot, hot slathering of the most eligible man in Trump world. Circling back again, Mr. Cash Patel. Nice. Yep. Carol- Carolina Serrano will be joining us on, on uh, March 8th. We're going to have some in-studio pate. In addition to her, we're going to have podcast host Courtney Turner. She's got an America First podcast that uh, has populist, nationalist ties, and she'll be joining us to uh, talk the news that day. 
And then we got a banger on 311. Arizona Senate candidate Kelly Townsend, our first actual House representative currently serving on Capitol Hill, Beth Van Dyne. She represents Texas 24. She'll be joining us as well. And we'll be doing the news with our favorite friend, Christina Bob. Friends of the week, the best as usual, Sublime and Slime, Madam America. Let's go Brenda 2, the Duke of Memes, Grand Old Memes, What I Meme to Say, Hubertos 2.0, Snack Thickelson, and Baby Cakes 2.0. Guys, things to remember between now and Monday, which will be the day before our next episode, which is Tuesday because I'm really tired. Do your own research. You know who did his own research today, Antoinette? Michael Johns, because he had a lot of information for us. I hope you guys enjoyed that segment. Right on top of that, Noah, how many clips do you have to cut up today? Uh, Including the mistake clip, nine. Just kidding. It's zero. Start your own podcast, and you'll find out just how simple it is. Oh, yeah, totally. And then, of course, a three-hour upload for the uh, new thing. Can you hit me with a garrison? Oh, scissor me, timbers. There you go. Friends, let's see what happens. This has been episode 109 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. We'll be back on Tuesday with episode 110 when we're joined by a whole bunch of people, including Boris Epstein, Gavin Wax, and Shu Abdurrahman. On behalf of the podcast team, I'm Roan. Noah? Bye. Antoinette? Later. Love you guys. Thanks for listening, and take care. woman said to me, obviously not of the same persuasion as I was politically, called me and said, there's a dead dog on my lawn. And I said, yes, ma'am. I said, have you called the county? He said, yes, they're not here. And I said, well, I'll get them in the morning. She said, I want it removed now. I pay your salary. So I went over. I picked it up. She said, I want it out of my front yard. I put it on her doorstep. To be honest with you, I, I'm kind of retarded. <laughs>